Hello and welcome to episode 257 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I am Kevin. And guys, we did it. We made it. After two years, a pandemic and technical difficulties that delayed... Exactly. And even after technical uh, difficulties that delayed this episode, we're back to covering Video Game Christmas. We have E3... Well, it wasn't quite Video Game Christmas. It was like... Like, it wasn't Lump of Coal Christmas, but it wasn't like normal... Yeah, it was like video game Easter or like Christmas in July, <laughs> Christmas, where people are like, hey, it's it's kind of like that holiday, you know, in December, but like, not quite. Like, it wasn't quite there. It wasn't quite a normal E3. It was a all virtual E3. The number of announcements were lighter, and as such, we're calling this episode virtually E3 because it was close, but no cigar. It wasn't quite. Is it virtual there. space E3 or virtual three, virtually three? Virtually space E3, but now that you yeah, say the fine. other name. Yeah. We did this last Man. year too when we called it Wannabe E3 instead of just condensing yeah, it into Wannabe, wannabe E3. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can blame me. I mean, when do I not blame you? Come on. <laughs> fair. Um, but that, you know, to be fair, we're, we're kind of knocking me and E3, but that, that's not to say there's not stuff from video game Easter, as you called it, Kevin. I mean, Nintendo arguably brought the goods and we'll be weighing in on everything from Metroid and Zelda to WarioWare and Advance Wars. Uh, plus, of course, there's third-party highlights. Um, our impressions of the show as a whole... Well, really, both shows, because there was E3 and there was Summer Game Fest, and both were like... It was like Video Game Easter and Video Game Passover, basically. Um, I think in all, though, we do have like a dozen different announcements we'll be covering. So there was stuff, and there are timestamps around town.com that may be useful given that there are about a dozen different announcements. But you can also just join us from, for the whole ride, which, you know, in this case, it starts where else with Nintendo, uh, who closed out the show with... A pretty hefty, well, not hefty, but pretty surprising slate of games. Um, and unlike those other guys at E3, Nintendo, the majority of their games are actually coming this year. So that was kind of nice. Um, and I mean, one thing I at least appreciated about the Direct was just how good the pacing was this time around. Like, Directs can be hit or miss, but like, they didn't do an insanely deep dive into some JRPG that won't be out for three years. They didn't, you know, highlight a ton of content for existing games, which is something a lot of other companies did as filler this year. I mean, in a span of 40 minutes, we had, uh, I think it was 29 different games. I, I counted it. I just remember if it ended up being 29 or 30, but we had a good chunk of games. So, you know, even that dozen or so I said, what are we talking about? That makes it, that sounds like child's play compared to 29 games in 40 minutes. We're going to do a dozen in probably like six hours. So, you know, uh, but did you, did you guys find the direct as a whole to be, what did you think of it? Was it enjoyable? Did you like the pacing? Was it a good direct? Whether stronger, weaker? Where, where are you guys at? Um, I'll go last. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, I thought it was a v- solid direct. If I were to grade it, it'd probably be like a seven. Mm-hmm. It didn't light my world on fire. Uh, I know it did for a lot of people, but for me, yeah, yeah, it was a uh, yeah, it was a it was a solid direct. That's that's all I can really say. What about you, Angel? You were saying you're gonna go last, but that only bought you thirty seconds. You already what? We're, are, you didn't hear him? I thought that was just like the appetizer to like your real thoughts when you would dive into like a 40 I mean, minute. We'll, we'll go game by game. Like, Don't worry, but just high level. Oh, uh, overall, I enjoyed it. Um, there were less moments where I was like, uh, stop talking about this because, <laughs> you know, like. When they talk about a game that's been announced for like the umpteenth time, whether it's Nintendo or someone else, like it's just like 
Yeah, we know about this. Just go to the next thing. Like, I don't is care. Is this a thinly like, like, veiled like, jab at like Monster Hunter like, 2, I, Monster Hunter Stories 2, Wings of Ruin, and its monsties that they kept saying over and over in every that, presentation the entire game. week? Um, there was a couple games that were like that. I mean, that's definitely one of the one of the bigger ones of that because, you know, Capcom had just talked about it the day before, two days before, whenever yeah. they had their yeah. conference and... You know, it's also appeared like in both Monster Hunter mini directs, and it doesn't ever feel like new info gets announced. Just that it's coming, and it's looked complete for a while. I mean, it's a good looking game, but <laughs> I feel like the game's been done for like a year, and they're just like, we need to space it from Rise and then market it excessively. So we'll do it four months later. Yeah, and just do a trailer help. every ten days. And it doesn't help that. Wait, like, Stories even... Two hasn't come out yet. No, it's out next month. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, I yeah. thought that game had been out. I thought this was all DLC. The only yeah, this reason is why it was so I'm annoying because it was like, yeah. The only reason I'm like remotely okay with the them DLC showing is... it, yeah. And the DLC is just Monster Hunter Rise. They're just crossing each other over. But um, the only reason I'm remotely okay with it is because I can't get over how they call the monsters monsties. I don't know why, but every time they do it, I'm just like, really, and just kind of laugh. So for a week, That's I got I got my jollies. Piece. But uh, yeah, it was it was definitely terrible. excessive. <laughs> well, okay. Um, in that case, Angel, or what were you gonna say? Sorry, sound like you're about to say something. Yeah, and besides that one, you know, like I mean, I know this is like the first reveal of actual Shin Megami Tensei gameplay. Yeah, yeah, this Maybe? was the first reveal, which we will get oh. to. There's a lot of individual. Which is funny because like the whole time, I kind of felt like we've seen this already. So I was kind of like shooting it along in my head. Um, but I guess we haven't. I mean, I guess this is going to show you. But um, they did. They did like we, the teaser and like video. And I think, I think it's because it. we knew about this game for a long time, mm-hmm. versus other games that we've only heard about for the first time here and saw gameplay of them, which I feel doesn't happen too often. At least where there's a good number of games that I'm actually interested in. This is probably one of the few directs where I was actually interested in more than one, and more than Smash Brothers. We'll just put it that way. Funnily so, enough, I when they showed that Shimigami Tensei three stuff, the Shimigami Tensei the the SMT five stuff, I was like, oh my god, this they have to. This could have been two minutes shorter, and it, it would have been a better trailer. And I'm the Shimigami Tensei fan here, so there were a lot just it's definitely over explaining. Like, oh my god, yep. I would say in general the C three, and it's probably filler because coronavirus and the pandemic. But there was a lot of just over. Explaining, we did not need this, twenty that, minutes of Guardians not of the Galaxy. For the coronavirus. N- Nintendo does this all the time, and there was like a parody video that I sent to these guys like before the before the direct. Um, I think the night before, where it, yeah. it was essentially like, "Here's an RPG. You deal damage by attacking. You level up by gaining experience." Like that's kind of what like a lot of these like traders feel like. I guess when Nintendo starts well, talking, and that's why like, I, I forgot so... what game it was. Where like they showed the trailer and then like the the suits came out. I forgot their names, but you yeah. know who they are. Yeah, Koizumi. Um, and and yeah. they pretty it, yeah, and they pretty much like recapped what we just saw. And I was like, yeah, like the heck. Well, that's like, what's they, funny. Is... I don't know. It's weird. It, it has weird pacing because some parts were, were paced really well, then other parts just like kind of slowed down abruptly. It was weird. It was like being with a student driver. But it was definitely it, it was weird because I feel like other directors they've done that more. The weird, like, stop-start, long-drag segments. 
But I feel like every other company due to – I don't think Nintendo uh, coronavirus was the reason for their pacing. But I think like the reason Capcom didn't have a single new game, only stuff we already knew, and like Square Enix spent half their presentation on four versions of the same footage of Guardians of the Galaxy like was because – you know, stuff is – last year, stuff was pretty much done so people could just, like, release it. This year, stuff is deep in development, delayed by the pandemic. So a lot of companies were, like, kind of the old pace of Nintendo Direct, and this Nintendo Direct felt a lot faster as a result, mostly. To, to your guys' point, some of it was still cut kind of weird. But for the most part, it felt a lot quicker and brisker to me. Yeah, but, it definitely brought nice variety. It was one of the better Directs, in my opinion. I think, um, well, with that in mind, Angel, you went last before, but now I'm going to make you go first. What, okay, so we should probably break down some of the games. So starting with the first-party offerings, if you had to pick one first-party Nintendo game, which are you most excited for, Angel, of the slate? Um, easily Metroid. Definitely Metroid. That's it. Cool. Okay. Good episode. See you guys. No. Um, yeah. No. I, well, well, let's, let's talk about I was Metroid. To? Yeah. Well, let's talk oh. about Metroid then. Let's just use that as a launch point then. Yeah. So, what is it about Metroid? What, what are you jonesing for with Dread that you're so that that that's the one? That's the Metroid game. <laughs> I mean, that's literally it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just wanted. I just came off of playing Metroid: Samus Returns on the 3DS, so I was definitely in a. I want to play another Metroid vibe and then this came along seemingly out of nowhere because i don't know when metroid 2 samus returns came out it was definitely a couple years back 2017 but county <laughs> yeah so if you got it and beat it when it came out this would have probably hit a lot better more intense i don't know actually I, maybe it was about the same because i was I, like it's like out like having after just beating um metroid 2 like i felt like i was at the at the, I guess the climb of a roller coaster, like another climb, like I'm just like, oh man, I just want to play like another new Metroid game, ideally on a console, but I didn't want to replay any of the old ones. So yeah, it just felt like it was enough at the perfect time for me. And Mercury like... Steam definitely did an awesome job with Samus Returns. So really happy to see that they're back at it and looks like they're just building upon what they started. I feel like it wasn't just that Dread was like, oh, hey, a new Metroid from Mercury Steam. That's cool. It felt like kind of this double whammy because we got both, like, the game itself, as in, like, the game of Metroid Dread, but also there's this crazy legacy attached to the game. I mean, Metroid Dread has been a name and concept that's existed in Nintendo fan circles since 2005. That's when IGN discovered it was a uh, – they found it on a preliminary software lineup for the DS at E3 in 2005. It never actually made it to the show. Then over time, it slowly sort of transitioned from being like a rumored project that was ongoing to a rumored canceled project to just one of those weird vaporware lost in time type of situations. And it turns out that like I guess behind the scenes, Nintendo apparently was making multiple attempts to restart this project. Even when publicly pumping out everything mm. from like Metroid Prime 3 to Federation Force, you know, the one that everyone hated, in the background, they were apparently trying to figure out how to do this, and they didn't really have an aha moment until, like you said, they found Mercury Steam and did Sans Returns. And it, it sounds like from um, what the producer of the series, um, well, what's his name? Sakamoto, I forgot his first name. But what he uh, was saying in all these interviews and videos and stuff was basically like, yeah, once we made Sans Returns, and once we saw the Switch's uh, hardware and what it's capable of, we're like, okay, maybe this can fall into place. But still, like, if you've been following Nintendo for the last, you know, for these 15, 16 years since Dread was first uh, surfaced, 
This was like a finding Bigfoot moment or like seeing a unicorn. Like, like this is the thing that was on every fan wish list, every fake lineup, every 4chan leak. Like, it was always Metroid Dread. And, you know, it was the same way that I don't know if you remember in the game two days, everyone was like, oh, where's Mario 128? And that never was a thing. But, like, Metroid Dread just became a thing, which is crazy. Like, just in of itself. Yeah. Never mind the game itself. It's just kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. The name even made a cameo. I think it was in Metroid Prime 3 where yeah. you scan something and then it says, like, Project Dread canceled or something. No, like it's Project Dread. Uh, yeah. It was the opposite. It was basically saying it's coming soon. And then people asked Retro what's that about. And Retro's like, oh, it's it's nothing. And they actually changed what it said in the Japanese version to not even reference Dread, which is kind of interesting. But, um, yeah, the, the thing I find kind of amusing about it, though, is, like, as as cool as it is that we now have Dread as a thing, like, as an actual game, it, there's a part of me that's kind of like, why did it require this long of a wait? Like, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm glad it's here, and we're getting the first new 2D Metroid in, what did they say, it was like 19 years or something? And not only that, but you were referencing, you know, Seems people... It's unfair have, to Mercury Steam and... Like, I mean, wait, has it been 19 years since... Fusion. I guess... Fusion. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, it is a little unfair Mercury Steam because they did do Santa's Returns, but like. And that game is definitely not the same game. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. This, yeah, is, this mean, is the this, first story this, sequel. Yeah. yeah, this is the first time they've like done yeah, a, a new story. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely the new, yeah. But it, it's, it's just one of those things that like, new... so, you know, 19 years, they're finally doing a sequel to Metroid Fusion's story. Apparently, this is also the final chapter for the entire saga of Samus's interaction with the Metroids. Okay, sure. But I don't get, like, why did it take this long? Like, I obviously, on some level, marketing forces were at play, you know, and Stannis Returns apparently did well enough commercially, and Mercury Steam could cut their teeth with that to now be able to do this. I mean, but, like, there's that nothing. Seems to be lo- the simplest and answer them just. No, but what I mean is, like, I don't if think, you look. I don't, does anything deeper than that no 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 i just mean like if you look at it because they keep saying oh it's the hardware it's like if you look at it sure like it looks nice in hd but it's not like it's moving mountains in ways that sans returns didn't i mean the only thing i could think of is maybe there's an argument to be made that the atmosphere of dread you know the perpetual feeling of being chased by those robots the emmys or mis or whatever they're called um Maybe, you know, back in the DS days, that didn't work. You couldn't really capture that feeling. But, like, you could get a vibe in a 3DS game. Like, Sans Returns had a vibe to it. Like, it, the diorama effect worked wonders for, like, what we They had the vibe in a Game Boy Advance game. Yeah, so, so like, it's a weird it, I, thing they, that they keep saying, like, oh, we couldn't. We didn't have the technology. It's like, you did. It's just other factors. But whatever. It's glad I'm glad it's here. It's just weird. Yeah, I don't know why they're saying it that way. I mean, yeah, well, I, mean I, I guess... I, I mean, it makes it sound more grand than simply saying, which is probably the truth. It's like they just haven't, they just didn't have a good idea. They Except just, they did. This existed 15 years ago in some capacity. They just didn't have the pieces. This, in yeah, yeah, it, it, it existed it clear, in some clear, capacity. Yeah, it true. clearly wasn't this though. No, like, yeah, they probably yeah. had like some other idea for what Mitchell Dead was going to be, but it definitely wasn't this. Like they just didn't have anything that they were happy with. Yeah, pretty much. And they just kept canceling it. And I mean, and then Mercury Steam came along and. They clearly liked them. They probably pitched it, and they liked it. I mean, the turnaround time between, I guess, Metroid 2 being done on 3DS and this, like, kind of lines up with that end. You know, it's like the same reason, I don't know, I guess we just haven't had an F-Zero by Nintendo's logic, that they just haven't had a good idea. Well, I mean, you know, that's what's funny. I'm sure they're so gonna, I mean, that, I'm sure they're going to chalk it up to technology or some other thing. There was that interview. Whenever it does come out. There was that uh, interview a few months ago with a former F-Zero producer, and he's like, oh, Nintendo won't do it unless they have a new idea. And then I turn and look at the rest of the lineup that we're going to be talking about this episode. A 2D Metroid that has a little spin on it. A WarioWare that has a little spin on it. But then an Advance Wars that's identical to the old Advance Wars. It's kind of like, 
do you need a new idea? We're at the point where you can just re-release things and the, and the nostalgia kicks in, as we'll talk about later. So it's kind of like, you can do a new F-Zero. It's okay. No one's going to be like, oh, you ported the GameCube game. Like, they'll all be like, oh, you ported the GameCube game. Like, we've reached yeah, I don't even want a new F-Zero. Just give me the GameCube game. Just I'm telling them right now, just give me the GameCube game. Yeah, it just doesn't make... I don't even need to try. It's it's weird. but and, and, and to be fair, this is not a knock against Metroid Dread. I'm actually really digging what they're doing with this Metroid. Like, the way they're... They're kind of expanding it past organic environments. It has, like, a colder, techie atmosphere. And, like, the idea of the gameplay essentially being a hybrid of what Metroid Fusion was doing and what Sans Returns is doing is cool. Like, really, it's sort of the best of both, in my opinion. Because, like, you know, from Metroid... Uh, from Metroid... From Sans Returns, uh, one thing I remember really liking is how it felt like Metroid, but was kind of more action-y in, like, a contemporary way. You know, stuff like the melee counter and the ability of free aim... Those are back. They've now gone a step further. They have um, – you can do melee attacks without needing to wait for an enemy to attack. You just do it as a dash move now. There's a slide ability. There's a spider magnet thing that lets you climb walls. So all this kind of like Morph Ball-esque mobility additions. And even the idea on the fusion side you know, of, of Dread, this thing with like the Emmys chasing you, that's kind of – that feels like a step beyond what Metroid Fusion did because there they had SAX constantly chasing you, you know, the, the ex-Parasite version of Sanus's suit. And I think what's kind of cool here with Dread is that the gameplay is taking that further. Like, the Hunter is now the hunted idea. Like, it's going a lot further because, I mean, it's been a while since I played Fusion, so maybe Angel, you remember, or maybe Kevin, you do. Um, the events with SAX and Fusion were scripted, right? Like, you'd go into a room and the game would be like, ah, you're in this room now. Bring in SAX and you'd have, like, an encounter and then SAX would leave and that'd be it, right? Like, it was all pretty structured. Yeah, there were, yeah, there were scripted chase sequences. You just had to make it to point B right. or your safe spot and then just wait for her to leave. Because here, it's not scripted. They're, these robots are always patrolling. Apparently, Samus's sounds will trigger them, but then if they see you, they chase you full speed and can basically one-hit kill you. So, it's sort of like Metroid Fusion, but it's like the evolution of that. It's not just the evolution of Samus Returns like we were talking about. It's also sort of taking the Fusion idea one step further. So, it really does feel kind of like the marriage yeah, of the two, which is the cool. Resident Evil 2 remake. In a way, in a way. Actually, Alien Isolation is more appropriate because... Yeah. Yeah, because sci-fi. And and even stuff like, you know, they're building mechanics around the fact that you constantly have this, as they keep saying, sense of dread. You know, like the Phantom Cloak where it'll let you evade enemies. But there's this hook where, like, okay, you can be hidden from the robot for a minute or two, but when time runs out, if the robot's still there, like if you accidentally walk with it or something, it will eat into your health. You can keep it going, but then you're doing kind of the... Do you want to have your health at risk or do you want, you know, so it, it, there's like more mechanics to it, which is pretty cool. But, um, yeah, it just seems, it seems like a really clever way of marrying the two past 2D metrics we've had, the remake and the, and four, essentially. Um, but even, even like outside the gameplay, there's just, it's just really, I don't know, I think, I think it's just a lot of excitement generated by Dread. Like, I'm, you're, I'm looking forward to it. I know, obviously, Angel, it's your favorite. Kevin, where are you on Dread? Are you excited for it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I didn't play Sinus Returns, but I have played every 2D Metroid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I haven't played Prime 3. I so think you could get away without that. that I, <laughs> yeah. And like, like I said, I've played all the 2D ones. So right. technically, yeah, I have played, I have played Samus, cool. uh, in that case, Metroid 2. Next time I see you, I'm gonna drop off, um, the Samus Returns on my 3DS. Take play. Mm, that it's a pretty work. short game. Yeah. Yeah, you have to October. I mean, to yeah, play. they, they, it's, they it's, usually it's, are. It's really worth playing. It's definitely worth playing. And I, I think, yeah. So just 
having uh having the knowledge of like all the 2D Metroids already is like that's that's great for me. That's actually something I was kind of surprised by. I feel like they missed an opportunity here because like you can't easily get all the 2D Metroids on Switch. You have this huge audience potentially for this game. It's it's not going to be like an evergreen title that sells 10 million copies or anything, but like Metroid Dread has been the number one game on Amazon's video game chart already. Uh, GameStop just recently revealed it was the most pre-ordered game of E3. Uh, the special editions they put out are selling out instantaneously at every retailer. Like, it all points to this Metroid perhaps being, like, a coming out for the series, or at least becoming the best se- selling in the series. I mean, I looked it up. The original Metroid Prime always sold, like, only. In Switch numbers only, 2.82 million copies for Metroid Prime. Metroid Fusion sold 1.68 million. Respectable numbers, but, like, this is the Switch, where, you know, the Switch bump exists. Every game becomes the bestseller in its franchise. There's an opportunity for Metroid here, and I am shocked that Nintendo didn't exactly, like, take that. Because you, as like, right now, you guys coordinate how do you catch up with Metroid. If you're on Switch, you can get Metroid NES Original on your Switch Online subscription, and you can get Super Metroid on your Switch Online subscription. And maybe there's a friend like Angel that can loan you Sans Returns so you could try out Metroid 2 and get the kind of basic plot of that. But but fusion is exactly is, like where is it? Yeah, Why really tough to to get? Yeah. They especially well, when they've been an ambassador. But the, but that's, that's the thing do. is like I know, I know. no 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 I know you're right. But that's the thing is they keep tough saying cookies. like it's been 19 years. It's been so long. We're finally doing it. it's like yeah. So there's people that literally were born and are now teenagers in the time since that came out. Do you want to give them an opportunity? Like this felt like a perfect shadow drop to do at E3, especially since there's no demos or anything. Just you know hey catch up with the Metroid Saga now. Metroid Fusion, we ported it to Switch. It's in the eShop. It's a tiny little release. You know, it's, it, the only Shadow Drop they did was that, like, mummy hunting game. I forgot what it was called, Strange Brigade or whatever. Like, they could have done this and built a little buzz, and it would have done really well because there's clearly so much interest in this right now based on all those, you know, the stats I just rattled off. So it's just such a strange opportunity that they missed to just get Fusion in people's hands to build up more hype for Dread. But not that they necessarily need it. It clearly has attention, but they could have made some money along the way. And help people that haven't played it. Anyway, I'll get off my high horse. So that's Metroid. Anyone I mean, they, <laughs> Nintendo also does need more money. So yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> they're like we're good, we're okay. Um, but okay, so that Angel, that was your favorite uh, or most excited about Kevin? What about you? Yep. I'm, I'm guessing Zelda, even though we didn't see a ton of it. Oh, you'd be absolutely dead wrong. Really? Uh, what is it? Come on, you, you know, you know how much I do not care for Breath of the Wild. Oh, that's true. Just wrong. There would be more info to get out there already. So is it? Yeah. Uh, what is it then? Of oh, the first party. I'll let you guess. Uh oh 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 no! I think I know. Is it Mario Party? It, ding ding ding! We got a winner, baby! Yeah. yeah, Mario Party Superstars. I we what was it? Maybe like two episodes ago that we complained about how much wasted potential Super Mario Party was. Yep. Yep. And this seems to fix like literally Everything. every issue that we had <laughs> when it comes to the mini games, when it comes to the boards, when it comes to the pacing of the actual game. There's online. Yeah, this is this this is what Super Mario Party should have attempted to have been for sure. It I mean really if anything, I this is like Mario Party the top one hundred and Super Mario Party like merged together and done correctly. Because like top one hundred had the right idea of the best mini games. But didn't have boards. And then Super Mario Party had like, well, we have the UI that's pretty clean and easy to use, but didn't have the right games or boards, so finally we kinda have them both. Um, but for those who don't know the full details, we're talking five classic boards from the uh, N64 Mario Party era. So that's Mario Party 1, 2, 3. And a hundred mini games that span, they say up through the GameCube game. 
But there's this website. It's a Marapari fan site. Yes, that's the thing. Remember last time when I was like, did you know there's a DK fan site called DK Vine? You're like, what? There's also a Mario Party one called Mario Party Legacy. And they have been going through every screenshot, every video, everything from every publication. And they have actually been mapping out all the minigames. And if you want the full list, we'll link to it in the blog post. As of right now, they found 62 of the 100. And it has, you know, classics like uh, Crazy Cutters where you're, like, drawing the outlines of the characters. It has Shy Guy Says, you know, the, the Simon Says That's thing. Book it had Book Squirm. from Mario Party 4. Yeah, book it has the yeah. um, Bowser's Big Blast where you, like, pump the thing and hope he doesn't explode on you. Phrasing. It has Bumper Balls from Mario Party 2. Like, it has everything. But then they also found that even though the majority is Mario Party 1, 2, 3, 7 has a couple mini games. 8 has a couple mini games. Even Mario Party 10 got a mini game in there. So this really is beyond what Nintendo's saying. Truly like a best of Mario Party. Well, the tr- the trailer said from across the series, not necessarily yeah, they, just They from did, the but then the like Nintendo's yeah, marketing. That was only for the boards. No, but yeah. Nintendo's marketing, specifically if you go like look at the press release it says the boards are N64 and the mini games go through GameCube. So someone somewhere flubbed something, but it's cool that yeah, we're getting this yeah, many there things. We go. Yeah. Um but yeah, the quality of life improvements look great. I mean, not just you, – you were talking about the quicker turns and stuff. But I, I was watching Treehouse Live and as I'm sure you were because that's how you saw that. But um, they fixed the coin economy, which sounds like a little thing. But from what I could tell, it looks like you're back to you need to pay 20 coins for a star, not 10. The winner of the minigame gets all the coins. Not everyone gets some coins. Like it it seems like a minor thing, but that coin economy change in Super Mario Party was really a big change. So it's kind of nice that they sort of went back. Well, it – it feels like they're going from like a sort of casual friendly game to we're going back to ruining friendships again. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is exactly what Mario Party should always be. Not this watered down Super Mario Party. And stuff. I do think in many ways that's probably why this is a full separate release and not just DLC for Super Mario Party. Like to be fair, I got that totally wrong. Like, it was a month, like, we were just talking, you were saying in past episodes, like, a month ago, they put Super Mario Party online, and I was saying, you know, this is a play to extend the game's life, uh, it'll give a boost in sales, and then they could do DLC packs in there. And on some level, I don't think I was that crazy, because, like, once online came out, Mario Party's remained a staple in the Japanese Top 20 sales chart. Here in the States, it was still in the Switch's Top 10, even though multiple newer games came out and could have bumped it. Like, it seemed like Nintendo had a thing where it's like, okay, yeah, we sell Super Mario Party... We sell you boards for 10 or 15 bucks, uh, and kind of like Sword and Shields expansion pass with Pokemon, you know, they can milk 80 or 90 bucks per Super Mario Party sold versus some people buying $120 of two Mario Parties and some people stopping at 60. But looking at superstars, like the, the roots are there, I think, for the DLC. Like the UI looks the same. The engine looks the same. Literally the mini game preview screen before you start is exactly the same. But I think they just kept stacking things. Like, I think NDQ or whoever's de- – I think it's NDQ that's developing this one. Um, I think they probably, like, started with minigames and boards, and then they probably wanted iconic feedback about the game's pacing, and then they probably saw criticism about, you know, the coin thing, so they redid the coin economy. And, you know, even the fact that selling point of this Mario Party is, hey, it only requires button controls. It works on your Switch Lite, which, you know, there's now, like, 20 million of those out there. It works with the Pro Controller. Like, that's something that I don't know they could have sold if there's, like, here's this game that on the box says – you need motion, but when you open it and download th- something for fifteen dollars, you don't. So I think, I think that's kind of how we got here. Like I think this was DLC, and then it kind of moved away from it as time went on. Like other decisions within the game make a lot more sense too. Like we do have online in Super Mario Party, maybe to give it a, a mini boost in sales until Superstar comes out on uh, August, not August, October 29th. 
But, you know, like, if you look at the differences in the online between the two, like, Super Mario Party is like, oh, you could play with friends. It's kind of like you're faking a LAN party. Super Mario Party, or sorry, uh, Mario Party Superstars, you can taunt opponents with stickers. You can play strangers and friends alike. There's an option to stop a game online at any time. It saves every turn. Or you could come back later, so you don't need to commit to, like, an hour-plus online session. It, it's Cowards. a Yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird comparison to make, but Mario Party Superstars reminds me a lot of what happened with Mario Galaxy. I don't know if you guys know this, but, um, originally Mario Galaxy 2 was going to be an expansion for the first Mario Galaxy. Obviously not DLC in the way we know it, but they're going to re-release the original game with extra planets and levels. But then the dev, then the devs just kept going and they kept adding more stuff and it got to the point where they realized a full-fledged sequel is just the only logical choice at that point. There's enough different and enough more that they just pumped out a sequel and i feel like superstars if you look at it was basically they started with dlc and it just spun off into this much better more elaborate package which is great because it looks great but it it, the roots are so like like they didn't even try to hide the ui being the same or anything like that like it's very i feel like old mario parties they'd they'd always switch up the ui just to make it feel like it's different and this one they didn't they're like nah it's fine and they're right it's gonna sell millions but i'll get my my soapbox about mario party now it does look good. So, so Kevin, does that mean, though, that you have zero interest? Like, so they showed Breath of the Wild 2 finally. Or, sorry, they showed the sequel to Breath of the Wild, which has yet to be named. Um, how did you feel about that, since that was something you at least expected from Nintendo? Um, so, if, but before that, we should probably say, hmm. I was freaking out when they were like, oh, and this is our last segment of the day. And then they showed <laughs> the Age of the, Calamity uh, DLC. <laughs> <laughs> the Age of Calamity expansion pass. I think both of you guys saw the fear in the words that I sent you guys when that was happening. Yeah, and tweeted. I think and, you tweeted like, "Are they gonna blow the finale or something like that?" Oh yeah, I was like, because it was because, like I said, it was a solid direct, and I was thinking like they are going to botch the landing yeah. absolutely. And then I saw the expansion pass for Age of Calamity. I was like, "Oh, yep, they botched yep. it." But then eventually they did get around to showing Breath of the Wild. Uh I've have already said what I feel about Breath of the Wild. I don't think it's... Uh, I guess... I mean, it's a good game, but I just don't care enough for it. It just... It's so boring to me. And this more or less looked like an expansion. I, I'm sorry, but that's... That's how I felt about that trailer. It just looked like, okay, just a couple... You know, a power here. Some new areas. Mm-hmm. It Nothing about that screamed full-fledged sequel to me. And I almost would rather have a brand new uh like story as opposed to continuing the breath of the wild story right like, give me just a, a radically new different uh hyrule to explore but yeah it just it look it looks like more of the same about, and unfortunately that's not my cup of tea right what about you angel where where do you land on it seeing it cuz that was supposed to be you know the big finale were you as lukewarm or meh as kevin or did it actually sort of click for you I was pretty lukewarm about it. I mean, I really liked Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. I think I said it was my game of the year, but that was like with a caveat that it was only because it was, I think, the best Switch game I played that came out that year. Right. Um, I don't know. Like I, I liked it because it it was a open world game that I could play how I wanted, which was minimally. Oh yeah, because you tried like, to you boss know, rush just, basically, didn't you? Yeah, which I did. Like, I don't really care much to explore, to talk to NPCs or explore the world. I just want to get to the end. 
which I love that it let me do, which is why like I always thought like so highly of it. Which then kind of changed like how I even looked at the game or even approached replays because after I beat it, I'm like, okay, now I'm actually down to see what other things I could do there. And since I already beat it, like it was very, it became kind of like another Animal Crossing before Animal Crossing where I just played it on, I I guess because at the time there wasn't the, there wasn't a harder difficulty mm-hmm. than the standard. Um, I got the DLC to get the heroic difficulty and... I just started a new game, and then on that one, I was like, all right, I'm going to do everything. But since I beat it, but since I already had seen the ending, I was satisfied to just take it ridiculously slow. And, yeah, so pretty much, like, uh, yeah, there's still a ton for me to do that I know I want to do. Like, there isn't really much for me to explore to discover, because I feel like I've seen or know about pretty much every major secret. There's just a few challenges that I just want to face essentially mm-hmm. and this one um i don't know it seems cool i mean new powers are fun it's just like kind of like, i think kevin put it well it feels more like uh you know it, it feels like an expansion but you know that's also how i i would honestly kind of say uh majora's mask kind of majora's mask kind of gives out that feeling which you know it's in literally in that same boat it's a direct sequel to a previous game that's yeah. using the same engine so I mean, it's not like I'm expecting it to be completely different. Like, I'm looking forward to playing it. I'm looking forward to seeing if I could also beeline this one to the end. But I somehow I feel that's not going to be the case. But or maybe not as easily. But yeah, it's you know, we'll it's see. sort of an interesting line that I feel like Nintendo's walking here because, like, really. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a diehard, so it's, right, right, right. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, yeah, like I'm like, oh, this looks cool, but like I don't. I haven't beaten Breath of the Wild, so, you know. But uh, it's a shocker I haven't beaten a game. Yeah, Whoa. But, uh, no, I was going to say, yeah, it's we'll... it's sort of an interesting line they're walking because, like, really what they showed at this point is typically what they'd show for one of their AAA releases a year or so out from launch, which this is. It's currently slated for 2022. But they already did this once. Like, they, they the, this type of teaser of, like, what makes the gameplay sort of different? Like, we're going we're gonna to make you wonder, like, huh, he's in the sky now. You can explore the sky. Oh, okay. I guess that's how Skyward Sword's now more relevant Switch port. Okay. Or like, you know, they hint at new gameplay elements like we saw in moments where Link is like physically going through objects and that glowy arm of his. But like, it felt like for a game that's been two years known, normally at this point we would be seeing more and they would do more of an effort to be like, here's how it's different or here's how it's the same. You know, at least just explain it more. Like if you compare this with something equally far out like Splatoon 3's teaser trailer, right? Like, we got maybe just as much to chew on now. Also, props to Nintendo for not talking about Splatoon 3 yeah. or Pokemon. Yes, actually, that, give them that was really nice that they understood that their games are already known and they have nothing more to say and they don't need to rehash them. So, like, with Splatoon, they're like, here's our teaser. We'll get back to you when it's about to come out. And I feel like this trailer was them saying, okay, here's Zelda. We'll get back to you when it's about to come out, except they already did this two years ago like even the arm stuff they teased two years ago and you know like like that gives fans something to chew on but we're kind of in this like circle where i feel like a lot of the theories about what's up with link's arm and what that means are the same as two years i mean i guess they flushed it out so they're they showed you know he can physically move through objects apparently he can shoot like a flamethrower out of his arm he can command things it's basically like a sheikah slate 2.0 and some sites are doing some really interesting dives into like what this could mean story-wise and stuff like that. So if you are excited, uh, there's one I found uh, on the Gamer that's actually kind of interesting where they're comparing it to actual uh, 
Gaelic and Celtic mythology, where a, a lot of Zelda kind of borrows from that array with fairies and things like that. But um, apparently there's a story in Celtic mythology where a hero descends from the sky and he has to replace his arm with one of someone else, which kind of is exactly what seems to be happening in Breath of the Wild, but it's sort of like this conversation also kind of happened two years ago. And it just seems like they should either just say it's the same experience or say it's radically different, but instead they're doing this weird little dance where they're trying to just be mysterious, like all these interviews Bill Trennan is doing with the treehouse, you know, from the treehouse, he's saying like, oh, we can't reveal the name because it'll reveal too much. It won't be like Majora's Mask. It'll be its own thing. How? We can't tell you. We're holding things back. You're going to have to wait. It's just kind of like, all right, listen, we know it's a direct sequel. Is it direct direct or like is they it can't reveal the name they're not revealing the name because it'll say when you're buying well bef- obviously it's like i'll i'll, I'll take oh yet. don't don't <laughs> don't remove this little piece of paper that's covering the name pre-order redacted now yeah yes Whatever. exactly you just caught that breath of the wild looking game no but obviously i mean yet that was the same that that was the same excuse that marvel gave for not giving away the uh title to Endgame, mm-hmm. and then once we got the name Endgame, we we're like, oh, that's it. Yeah. And I feel like he's, it's going to be exactly the same. Oh, totally. And that's exactly game. what I'm getting at. Is like Nintendo's doing this whole song and dance, like no one really knows what's going on, but they're not giving us enough to work with. So either it looks the same or it's something radically different, but they're, it's just kind of in this weird it, it just expansion. Is it like Mario Party? Is it like a DLC that became more like – it seems like if they want to do a whole hype cycle and drag out this, the teaser for – now three years, they should probably tip their hand a bit more. And maybe the fact that they're not actually is, to your guys' point, suggesting that is more similar than different. Which is fine. It's a hugely popular game. There's nothing wrong with that. But, like, they're saying all these things like, oh, no, 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 there's so much you don't know. And I feel like it's gonna end up not being all that different. You know what I mean? Like, it's like why it's like this song and dance just feels, like, dated almost, because they've kind of been here before. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, part of me wonders if Maybe we were supposed to have more at this point, right? Like maybe the game was supposed to come out closer to now because, I mean, the announcement cycle would line up. If they teased it two years ago, showed it in more serious capacity this year, and then released it for the holidays, that would make a certain amount of sense. It would explain why Anuma was saying there's no real campaign for Zelda's 35th anniversary this year. You know, like after everything Nintendo did for Mario, you'd think they'd try to match it with Zelda. And like on some level, I guess they kind of are. The That game and watch they showed, it's pretty cool. I have one pre-ordered. Do you guys have one pre-ordered? You gonna get one? Nope. Yeah, I might as well. I mean, I already have the other one, so... Yeah, it's kind of my yeah. attitude. It's like, I have one, might as well get both. But this does have, for those who have the Mario Game & Watch, um, a bit more to it. There's now three games, plus a Game & Watch game, where Link's... The, Mr. Game Watch's Link's head, I guess. But there's also a clock that's interactive this time. And they even did, like, you know, quality of life stuff. You can actually play the clock. Or wait, I just said that. You can... Um, what was the one I was thinking of? Right. It was... Uh, it can stay on, not plugged in. So you can have it not go to sleep and be a clock on battery power and then just charge it at night or whatever. So like they're doing little things, but there's no campaigns, as Anuma said. There's no merch. There's not even a 35th anniversary logo. Like it feels like they're saying up this year, and obviously the pandemic, you know, I'm not faulting any developers or anything, but it feels like they're saying, here's Skyward Sword in the spring. Here's Breath of the Wild for the holidays. Here's a game and watch to kind of go with them maybe in like October, and this is a big year for Zelda. Learn about the skies of Hyrule, then experience them in the sequel of Breath of the Wild. Like it all just kind of perfectly lines up. It would make sense with the hype cycle. They'd be telling us whether a game really is as different as they're teasing. But instead, we just are kind of left in limbo until next year, which is fine. But I think that's just, to your guys' point, it's not helping the game's case, really. At least right now. But who knows? That could all change once they reveal more, or it could confirm what you guys are saying. 
but uh, we'll, we'll find out, I guess. That's the one game Nintendo showed in the presentation that doesn't have a date. Um, which room? What? Oh. Well, I just said yeah. well. But, so back to ones that do have a date, because I haven't said my favorite yet, uh, the one I'm most excited for. So my choice, I feel like it's not, well, maybe it's kind of on the same caliber. I mean, Metro Dreads its own level, and Mario Party, this is more like Mario Party. WarioWare Get It Together. So WarioWare is, you know, one of my all-time favorite Nintendo series. Just, you know, the idea of these rapid-fire, wacky ideas, and how each entry always mixes things up by changing the input method. It's always just clicked with me. It's been really good. And what I find so exciting, although maybe slightly potentially worrisome about Get It Together, is they're kind of radically changing the paradigm for the series in a way. Like, this is the first WarioWare that does not necessarily leverage the hardware of the platform it's on. There's no touch, there's no gyro, there's no using a stylus to build your own microgames or anything. It's all just button and stick. But instead of the input change, well, instead of the hardware features changing, what they're doing is they're changing how you as the player actually engage with the microgame. You're not directly interfacing with them anymore. You used to have three lives, and every time you did it wrong, you lose a life. Now you have three characters, each of who have different abilities, and you use them to interact with the micro game. So, I mean, I'm sure you guys saw it in the Direct and Treehouse Live, but you're basically controlling a character on screen who then does the action on the micro game, whatever it needs to be. It's almost like the character you're playing is a mouse pointer. Like, the input, you could argue, is like a pointer now. And each character or each variant of your pointer, I guess you could say, has a different move you need to then marry with the main, the microgame challenge. So, you know, like uh, I saw in the Treehouse Live segment, they showed Wario kind of jumps around, yet 9-Volt shoots a yo-yo and can't jump. And that theoretically, the pitch here, is you can get significantly more gameplay variety because for each character that behaves uh, differently, that's a different take on how you solve each microgame. So theoretically, yes, there are 200 individual micro games like past WarioWare's, but 9, 12 playable characters. That's 9 or 12 times as many ways to play each micro game, and that's sort of the, the pitch, I guess. Um, so I'm excited for it because I just love WarioWare, but there is this tiny voice in the back of my head that keeps saying, like, but will it be varied enough? Like, one of the things I noticed... I mean, did you guys see any footage of WarioWare besides the trailer? Because they don't really show it in the trailer. Or maybe they do, but did did are you guys in the same... Um, no, just Did you get kind of the same impression, though, even from the trailer, that it's just like, is there going to be enough variety in this? Like... Well, in the, yeah. in the trailer, I don't think they exactly explain that, like, different characters were going mm, to do okay. different yeah. things. That, that, that wasn't, that wasn't yeah, explained in the trailer at all. Now that you are bringing that up, I'm kind of a little worried because this can either go mm-hmm. one or two ways where the characters aren't different enough or the characters are so different that some minigames are easier than the others. That is ex- which will make some runs uh, really infuriating if there's a reason that you can't necessarily get to, you know, level 30 because you just picked the wrong character. Yeah, that is exactly my concern. Um, I think... Like, watching Treehouse Live, there's a small element of, like, almost you can spam your way through this that I can't quite shake. Um, I think where it was most apparent is in the two-player co-op mode they're adding, which in and of itself is a very cool feature. Like, first time in franchise history, you can, you know, go through story mode with a buddy, each with your own Joy-Con. And it, conceptually, before how it affects Warrior, like, conceptually, it's very much, you know, Nintendo. The same way, like, the 99 games are... are kind of doing a Nintendo 5 Battle Royale. Like, this feels like, you know, co-op is so big right now. 
I mean, even at E3, we had Rainbow Six Extraction, we had Back for Blood, you know, It Takes Two was a big hit earlier this year, and obviously Switch's MO was co-op, but, like, seeing Nintendo be like, okay, you guys are doing co-op, so are we, come play WarioWare, like, it, it kind of works, but watching the gameplay, it kind of looked like the Treehouse folks were just kind of, like, spazzing their way through it almost, like, and maybe that's the downside of C3, not being able to actually, like, play a demo, um, and actually experience it, but... But it's not what you want, though? Because I thought you preferred... Like, no, but the thing about WarioWare... The thing about WarioWare is you have a very simple input and you are trying to really quickly at five seconds, you know, to do the thing. Okay, I move the stick, I press A, I whatever. But the ways they twist that simple mechanic, the ways you do different things or the way you engage, like, it does vary. And what I noticed with the co-op was there's just, like, two characters flying around and, like, oh, you have to move a thing, just have the character fly left and shove it off. Oh, you have to, like, move a thing up, oh, just have the character shove it off. Oh, you have to, like, press something, just shove the character into it. Like, it felt very, like, samey, for lack of a better term. It gave me a little pause. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm such a big WarioWare fan that even if it's a simpler type of engagement, I'm still going to be all about it just because I, I really like the WarioWare world and the characters. Shout out to Jimmy T and, you know, all that. But um, it's just, yeah, I saw it. I was just like, this is the first time I've seen WarioWare where I'm actually like, huh, to like Kevin was saying, could this affect how the micro games play in a good or bad way or even differently between them? So it, it'll be interesting because the rest of it looks great. I like the new graphics, the 2D characters in 3D space for the cutscenes, the return of surprisingly good voice acting from Warrior Gold. Um, you know, they seem to be adding competitive playback. It supposedly has four players. If you go look at its eShop listing, even though they're only advertising the two-player co-op, it's all super modernized and nice. Like even the nine volt games, like the Nintendo themed ones, those are all contemporary now. There's an Animal Crossing one, a Fire Emblem Three Houses one, a Splatoon one. So there's a lot to be excited for for me. But there's it's it, and it is pushing down that little voice in the back of my head about you know maybe there's not as much variety in the gameplay itself, but that voice isn't completely silent. So I'm excited for September 10th. I'm excited to play it. I'm just also kind of like, huh, this could be different. So that's one that most has my attention, at least. At the very least, it's nice to see that the team that makes Rhythm Heaven games is actually working on something. So I mean, I guess I got that. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things from this Direct I'm still kind of puzzled by. What are Nintendo's first parties actually doing? Because Dread is Mercury Steam. Uh, WarioWare is internal, sure. But Mario Party's ND Cube. Uh, Pokemon is all outsourced. You know, Ar- uh, Legends Arceus is by Game Freak, and Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl is by... Actually, I don't remember who, but not a typical studio. Um... Zelda clearly is one in-house, but like even the other game they show that also pairs well with WarioWare because it's uh, a Game Boy Advance, you know, legacy game, an old franchise back in HD, Advance Wars, uh, 1 plus 2 Reboot Camp. Turns out WayForward is developing that one, which is kind of an interesting surprise. But like, what is Nintendo doing, to your point? Like, what are all the, what's the team that did Mario Kart and Nintendogs up to, for example? Like, it's, it's, I'm, it's, I'm very curious, because even in this lineup, this year, there's a lot of games that still aren't Nintendo themselves. So there must be something brewing somewhere, but yeah, but it's nice to see the rhythm happen, yeah, guys. Something I agree, sinister. Yes, very sinister. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it is. They're they're planning to take over the world. Um, but I guess speaking of advanced wars, hmm. did they spend any? Did Animal Crossing come up? No, at all? interestingly, uh, and someone and Doug Bowser was asked about that in an interview. Cops again, Nintendo, right? Like again. this was very. That was again. the thing I was saying at the top. This was very well paced. It was very just straight to the very punchy, straight to the point. 
You know the other stuff. We'll tell you about stuff that's already out. Just here's some new stuff. This was very targeted to the fans, and I think it paid off for them. Because, you know, Animal Crossing, yeah, there's 33 million islands out there that maybe want some updates, but the people that are tuning into E3 are not necessarily the ones that are going to care about that. They're going to want to see, you know, Metroid. They're the ones that are going to want to see Advance Wars come back. They're, it's, it's, they knew their audience for the first time in a long time with E3, and it was very nice. I mean, they've known that for a few years, but I, I still remember the years of, like, We Fit and Pac-Man Versus and, you know, those being the games. So it, it was nice to see kind of a return to form. Um, but Advance Wars, that's one other game none of us mentioned um, in our top picks but like i said it's, it's another gba era pick yeah. kind of like WarioWare. it's back it's in hd how do you guys feel about it? it might have been the most surprising of all the surprises just in terms of sheer out of the blue zero expectation i'm really glad that it's back I, mean, I do not like the art style yeah there's been some debate about the art style for sure um what about you angel how do you feel about it and the art style i'm curious um i never Got into the Advance Awards games. My favorite part about them was the the real time multiplayer mode, which was extremely simplistic and what I might imagine is not what people play Advance Wars for. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, so as far as the series coming back it was like a, like, Oh, that's cool. I know people that like it. Um I actually did like the art style. I thought um it felt like a just a modernized version of what the sprites were trying to emulate, like almost like if you went backwards, like this is what the sprites were trying to achieve yeah, in the I, game. Yeah, it does look overly simplistic. That like it almost like did it wasn't always this toy looking, but when you look back at the Game Boy Advance visuals, it's like yeah, it kind of is. And honestly, just like the quality of the animation on the 3D models and all the overlapping action that's going on was very like whoa, like damn, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I think even the 2D animation was kind of neat. And I mean, it, it's way forward, so like. Yeah, the the quality of their stuff is going to be neat, obviously, and yeah, it makes sense. Like, yeah, they brought back Contra Four to a roaring appraisal, and this one I'm sure will be no different. I'm kind of surprised they never got a shot at Metroid. I'm also surprised they're doing a something. 3D game for Nintendo. Like, they seem like a shoe in for Wario Land, hand drawn. Like this yeah. was a this is kind That's of out of field, but yeah, Kevin, I get what you're saying about the art style because like it's and even what you're saying, Angel, because the thing I noticed is. Angel, like you're saying, it is pretty much a 3Dification of the old game. Like, the whole game, Advanced World 1 Plus 2, just feels like a one-to-one everything that was 2D is now 3D. Like, the sprites look like they're just polygonal now, and which means, you know, they have as a little personality and kind of that generic toy soldier aesthetic. And, you know, like, the, the, the commanding officers, the CEOs, they went from flat anime characters to, like, slightly rounded ones. Like, in the same way that, you know, like, Great Ace Attorney's 3Difying the Phoenix Wright world um, with kind of just rounding off the flat art. Like, e- even the animations in battle, the normal attacks, the CO powers, what have you, they look straight up shot for shot, for shot at least from the Treehouse live stream, um, like they were on Game Boy, just now in HD. And I think that's both good and bad in that, like, yeah, it's faithful to the original, but... It kind of makes it feel like it doesn't have its own like full visual identity in a way. Like it does, but it's okay if you're gonna go with the toy box look. Like Link's Awakening does that extremely well, and this doesn't have quite that. If you're gonna go with just a 3Dification of Advance Wars, okay, this is kind of that. But then they sort of were like throwing back to the toy box idea again because the maps are not full screen anymore. They're these isometric. They look like play mats or like board games or something like that. So it's kind of in this weird in-between that has – like, Kevin, you're not alone. I, at first, it took me a while to warm up to it, and I've seen a lot of people online being like kind of not 
on board with the look, for lack of a better term. But did did you ever play the old Advance Wars, Kevin? Oh yeah, all I'm, all three, or did you just do the Game Boys? I did not do Days of Ruin. Me neither, actually. <laughs> but one and two are great, right? No, yeah, absolutely. And Would, um, and like I said, it's great. I I love that this is coming out. I haven't had any time to ever. Well, when have they ever been released? Honestly, after they weren't. After, it's so uh, bizarre. Released yeah. on the Game Boy, yeah. So it's gonna be great to to go back to these. To, well, at least these first two games, but like I said, the art style just doesn't do it for me. Would Would you say you're more of an Advance Wars guy or more of a Fire Emblem guy? Because people draw a line in the sand there. I feel like uh, I'm a little bit of both. I definitely was an Advance Wars guy, but then Fire Emblem essentially took that crown. And I mean, Advance not, not Advance. Are Wars. they that similar? Are similar games, but but like, uh, how do they compare to the tactics as well? Because they also look pretty well, I similar. Think... I mean, they have that Metal Slug one coming out. Oh, yeah, Metal Slug Tactics. It's funny because, like, three days before Advance Wars announced... My game of the year, baby. Metal Slug Tactics? Yep. Yeah, I'm I... am so, I, so excited for that game. It. I think that art style would have served Advance Wars better, to be honest. If they kept the sprite work and just sort of... Well, it's literally their original yeah, well, art style. Well, like, I mean, it's, it's mostly. Great. they they It has a little more depth to it and stuff. It's like a slightly spruced up one. But especially because, like, it's Advance Wars. Like, it has Game Boy Advance in the name. Like, if they stayed true to the sprite work, it could have worked. Like, this is one of the few games where you're like, if you do a reboot, I mean, literally a reboot. The name's a double pun. But if you do a reboot, like, yeah, you could have just kept the sprites. But, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, it's, it's to answer your question, Angel, about how they, how are they different. In, in my mind, I mean, they're both very similar in that, you know, they're grid-based strategy games, right? Um, the difference in my mind lies in how character-driven Fire Emblem is. Like, there, each fighter is a specific character, and the ground rules are basically you want to play in such a way that you don't die. Because at least in a Fire Emblem's original form, that you know the character's gone forever when they die, right? Like, that was kind of its hook. With Advanced Wars, and Kevin, I'm curious if you feel the same way, but with Advanced Wars, for me, the character-driven aspect, you know, they're zoomed out a bit. The individual units you move in battle aren't specific characters tied to the story. They're groups of soldiers or tanks or people movers or what have you, and they're just kind of these nameless units. And the character portions are between the commanding officers who sort of oversee the battle. So for me, at least, this has always led me to be a bit more aggressive with my advanced wars playing. Like, I I can build out more units to send in if mine die, which is something that Fire Emblem doesn't do in the same way. Like, obviously it's better not to have everyone always die, but you can be a little more offense first. And then the commanding officers that oversee the battle, their special abilities and their impact on the battle affects the entire battle. You know, like Andy, the the first CO you start with, he has a repair move, I think it's called like hyper repair, and it will repair all the units on the battlefield and moves, you know, you make with those units in subsequent turns, fill up the meter to then let you do a move again across the whole battlefield. So everything you do in the match or in your turn will affect this one meter that can affect all your units. While Fire Emblem's very like, who's next to you? Which character's important here? Which character can you pair with there? And those kind of like smaller relationships, I guess you can say. So I found that I, I have more fun generally. I like Fire Emblem, but I have more fun with Advanced Wars generally because it, it's a bit more zoomed out, I guess, for lack of a better term. You could be a little more like loose with it, I guess. Like, it, it, Do you think that's a fair assessment, Kevin, of kind of the difference? No, yeah, absolutely. On top of that, as far as like story goes, Fire Emblem games have a ton more story than the Advance Wars mm, games mm-hmm. will have combined. Well, I, I mean, I guess I didn't play Days of Ruin, but 
Days of Ruin, I don't know what Nintendo was thinking. Like, part of Advance Wars Charm, honestly, in my opinion, was just how, like, lighthearted it was. Even though it was a war game, it was very, like, breezy. And then Days of Ruin, they're like, well, if we make it apocalyptic and dark. And it's like, well, why would you want to do that? I think Days of Ruin was their (laughs) attempt at making a serious game on the level of Fire Emblem, considering that Fire Emblem was, was, you know. So, shut up, Siri. I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> my my Siri has been acting up lately. Has it mine, been acting up for too. you guys? I was on a call for work and I said something, nothing that sounded anything like the name Siri, and uh, the HomePod went off behind me and started giving me information yeah. on nearby hospitals, uh, which was really weird because we were not talking about hospitals. But she yeah. turns on maybe at least five times a day for me now. That's really it's bizarre. So weird. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, I think though, to, to your point about, like, yeah, as a serious Fire Emblem, I think that's one of the things that is nice about the franchises coexisting is one can be more silly and loose and one can be more serious because there's two of them. So when Nintendo tried to, like, merge their tones that, you know, they – everything I'm saying about battles is true, but at first glance you don't notice that. Like, just because the CO powers are the driving force of Advance Wars, if you go play – if you go look at Advance Wars, you go look at Fire Emblem, you watch a trailer of each, you don't necessarily know, oh, that's going to make a difference. But the tone of the games was enough of a differential thing, I felt like. But I guess Nintendo... Well, no, clearly Nintendo felt otherwise and then realized they made a mistake because then Advance Wars just died after Days of Ruin. They just gave up. So it is cool to see it back. Um, I mean, I, I never mind the fact, I don't even think we talked about, um, they confirmed online play for this one. So that's kind of the big new thing is it's going to be... It's the original games, first two games, full stories and scenarios and campaigns... But there's also an online mode, and uh, it sounds like it's head-to-head online for two players. There's local four-player support, and the Treehouse casually mentioned co-op play at some point during their segment. I don't remember exactly how it came up, but they were like, rallying off the modes, and they're just like, oh yeah, and co-op. So it seems like how you can play it, or who you play it with, has evolved. Four-player. Yeah. Actually, now I think about it, I think Advance Wars had co-op in the past, four-player. Because it was one of the like early Link Cable like pushing games on Game Boy Advance. So... Yeah, I'm just really hoping that Reboot Camp allows Advance Wars to kind of follow Metroid's trajectory, right? Because, you know, like with Sans Returns, it was an old Game Boy game remastered with modern graphics, some tweaked gameplay. In Advance Wars' case, it's the online stuff. Uh, and now, you know, being handled by an outside developer who first cuts their teeth with existing scenarios and hopefully is then given the opportunity to venture into their own direction. You know, kind of like Mercury Steam is now doing with Metroid Dread, hopefully Way Forward can do with an Advance Wars four or three and they pretend days of ruin never happened or what have you um so in my mind purchasing reboot camp when it hits on december 3rd is not just a chance to like go back and check out this series that's as we kind of mentioned doesn't seem to exist anymore like you can't unless you have a game boy you can't really find it it's not on any virtual consoles or anything but it's also it's not just a chance to do that it's also kind of going with my wallet to tell nintendo that i want them to bring the franchise back in some sort of more meaningful way. Like, this feels like the, the, the first step, and then maybe we can get them to do more all on Metroid. Um, I, I mean, I'm guessing you're picking it up, Kevin, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, Ke- and, uh, and, 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 and this is, <laughs> this is like, uh, this sort of, a nut up or shut up moment for the Advance War fans, because we've been, we've been asking for one for so long, and if this one doesn't sell and we don't get any more Advance Wars, it's on us. Yeah. It's on us. It's it was genuinely like I 
going into these presentations, you kind of have some expectations of what's going to be announced, right? Like through rumors, through leaks. You know, we talked about WarioWare last episode having a survey about its price, so that seemed like a shoe in 2D Metro has been rumored for like a year, so that didn't shock me. My jaw literally dropped when they said Advance Wars because I never in a million years thought they are going to bring it back. Like that just like I rarely react that like viscerally to an announcement. I was like, oh, that's cool. But I was generally like, what? Like out loud in an empty room. <laughs> like it was it was really cool. Yeah, and in a way that most people are pretty happy about. It's not like they're like, here is Advance Wars Racing. Buy this game and you'll get more Advance Wars. Yeah, right. Like race your no. tanks. Or, or even be vague about it. It's like. Yeah, exactly. Fully customizable tank. Yeah, or if they're like, hey, remember no Tank Troopers on 3DS? Well, now it has an Advanced Wars skin, but it's still not the same game. Yeah, that would be... Yeah, I'm glad they... Nothing has what Tank was Troopers. That, um, what was it essentially that 3D version of uh, Advanced Wars on the GameCube? Oh, Battalion Wars. Battalion yeah, Wars. they made two. There's one on GameCube and one on Wii. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, like they could have even Battalion done Wars that, well. which was like a real-time strategy. You're on the ground. It's not even real-time strategy. It's like action, but you're like was on the Nintendo? ground. Yeah, it was. They they outsourced it to a British developer who did um, both of them. And I believe among the people that worked on it, I think the guy that – the creative director of Mario and Rabbids, you know, the, the uh, David – what's his name? The guy that cried at the press conference, that really endearing moment. Um, I think he in his early development days actually worked on the original Battalion Wars, small industry. But yes, it was it was a spinoff, and they could have easily done that. Yeah, but you know, more generally, even I think just the fact that Nintendo's like doing Advance Wars and doing WarioWare and doing 2D Metro, like I think it signals that you know, one Nintendo's interested in finally going back to this chapter of their history that they don't dip into very often. And I think if we support it, it means we get to go further into this kind of period of Nintendo that is nostalgic, probably for us, but hasn't really been touched by them. I mean, this direct as a whole, was basically a send-up to the GBA era. You got your 2D Metro, you got your WarioWare, you got your Advance Force, you know, like I was just rounding off a second ago. And if you look back, if you like go back to the spring Nintendo Direct, I made that comment that felt like Nintendo was kind of front-loading a lot of their handheld first experiences onto the Switch, or games with more handheld roots at least. You know, you curl up with your Switch like a book to play Final Fantasy Detective Club. Metopia is obviously a 3DS game initially. Even like Mario Golf, which is a console game, you know, when Super Rush comes out this Friday, it has a deep RPG mode for the first time outside of handheld Mario Golf. And my thinking then was they're bunching the, all these handheld experiences together intentionally, whether to clear them out for a TV-first type of game later in the year, you know, to sort of shift over to the TV-heavy, TV-centric games later in the year. Like, Or last episode, I was speculating, maybe there's just a bigger demographic of handheld-first gamers now that they're targeting – but what was kind of funny with the C3 and looking at all this and seeing how they're leaning in on GBA now is it basically is an extension of that timeline of that thought. Like the idea that, oh, like half the year will be handheld, then they'll do consoles. Like, well, no, actually just the whole year is going to be handheld first and handheld centric. And that's fine. Like eventually we'll get the bigger TV first games. I mean, it's already lining up for 2022 with Splatoon 3 and Breath of the Wild and that sort of thing. Uh, but the fact that Nintendo is leaning in so hard on the Game Boy Advance for all of 2021 is kind of interesting. Like, in the same way that Animal Crossing sort of serendipitously coincided with lockdown and everyone staying home, Nintendo trying out a whole slew of games based on, you know, established franchises from a handheld era that now represent the nostalgia of a handheld era of gaming, doing that right as parts of the world are reopening and people are traveling and vacation again, it's kind of a conveniently similar coincidental moment for them. And Doug Bowser, he did an interview with The Verge where he straight up, like, 
acknowledged that essentially. He was saying, uh, for those who don't know, somehow Doug Bowser is until America's uh, president, but he was saying that the Switch is the one console uniquely positioned to be a travel companion for people. And then you look at the lineup, and there's depth in that lineup. Advanced Wars is a meaty game. 2D Metro can be a meaty game. But they all are taking taking out of an era very strictly handheld. And it's not just what Nintendo had in their presentation. You know, we talked about, like, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. You know, those were games that weren't in the presentation but are coming this year. They're Nintendo's big first-party November release. They, too, are handheld first. They're not... They're the first remakes to not update Pokemon to the current-gen engine. They're keeping them as homages to the handheld top-down era of Pokemon. Like, really, the whole lineup of Nintendo this year, beyond the E3 games, is just this huge send-up to, like, early to mid-2000 Nintendo. I'm sure the extent of it is a coincidence, but the way that Nintendo's 2021 specifically mirrors its 2003 is, like, kind of borderline ridiculous. I mean, both... 2003 and 2021 have a Mario Golf, a Pokemon RPG, a WarioWare, an Advance Wars, a Mario Party, a 2D Metroid, at least in Japan because uh, it released a few months later over there, and even a re-release of a Zelda game. Not necessarily a new Zelda game, but a re-release of a Zelda game. Now granted, there are differences. 2003 uh, didn't have Metopia or Pokemon Snap equivalents. We don't have a Wind Waker equivalent, although it could have been Breath of the Wild 2, maybe. Who knows? But my point is... I think why this Direct resonated so well with so many people, with me, maybe with all of us collectively, maybe with listeners, is because it captured a nostalgia of a Nintendo era that the company doesn't really touch. And that was really cool. And seeing Advanced Wars and seeing 2 Metro and seeing WarioWare, like all these things that were, when we were teens, coming back in new forms or at least remakes is it, it's just really cool it's, it's we're i'm so used to personally the n64 game uh n64 and super nintendo stuff getting remade that seeing them finally leap to the next generation was really kind of exciting but yeah i mean it, but the question of course becomes now that we're entering that era the game boy advance library is wide open like, is there any other in the same way advance was just kind of upped and vanished and never got treated to you know any sort of virtual console are there any Game Boy Advance games you guys want to see back? No, dude. I just want them to put the Game Boy Advance in the Virtual Console or whatever they're calling it now. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, that would be good. Let's do that. I, I would be okay if they did, like, be, Golden be Sun and, like, if they – I hate to say it, but they rip off HD 2D, 2D HD from Square Enix and did a Golden Sun that way. That could be cool. Um, Actually, no, now that I think about it, one they should really do. Because, yeah, they could put stuff in Virtual Console and get the same experience, but – one that could actually benefit from the Switch would be Drill Dozer. Did you guys play Drill Dozer ever? I haven't played any of the games you've mentioned. I feel no. like you ask us this question every five episodes. Drill Dozer? Do I? Yeah. I just love it yeah, so much. You've definitely asked us about but Drill it's Dozer. It's so good. Especially because you talked about Mr. Driller. Well, Drill Dozer and Mr. Driller are nowhere near the same game, um, but okay. I've seen... I've seen. No, I, I know they're not, but it, it came up. Um, you definitely bring up drills way, every five episodes. I, you know, it's just I have a thing for drills, I guess. But, but I've seen drill dozer, it's or Mister or Dozer Bread. Does that count? They are different. They're very so. Mister Driller is a puzzle game where you go top down. Drill Dozer is a sideways side scrolling game where you control a guy with a drill, and all you do is use the shoulder buttons to drill forward and drill backward, and you have to navigate the world and solve little, get through little puzzles and. Oh my god, they're so different. They're so different. One's made by Game Freak, and one made by Namco. But Drill Dozer, I feel like, would actually work really well on the Switch because the HD Rumble, right? Like you can have 
different drills feel different. You can have when you drill on different textures, it feels different. And this isn't a game Nintendo can sell for sixty bucks like they can Advance Wars, or even you know thirty bucks. But like they did it as an eShop release. Like there was a period of time where Nintendo did weird little eShop games, like Harmonite and Art Style Series and Dylan Drawing Western and Soccer uh, Samurai and all that. It seemed to die off with the 3DS outside of like the stretchers and Good Job on Switch. But if they were to go back and do that again, like Drill Dozer, those smaller GBA games. Feels like kind of the perfect fit. Just throwing it out there. I like drills. HD anyway. Rumble has uh, died to me ever since the dual sh- the dual sense. So well, yeah, I, I, well, they could honestly, do, well, a uh, lot of the Switch's features have died. If you look at the games they announced, if you look at just what's coming to the Switch in general, touchscreens kind of not used, motions kind of not used, HD Rumble's kind of not used. Nothing's really used. Like, they made a point with Mario Party, as we were saying, of how it doesn't use those features. So, but anyway. Well, um, they, they kind of put themselves into a corner by releasing the Switch Lite. I mean, you they can't did. just... They did. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they slow... It, whenever the next Switch generation comes, whatever, you know, Pro or whatever, I wouldn't be surprised if it actually gets rid of them. Now that I think about it. Because it's just wasted part. It's like how Apple's phased out... Um, uh, what they call it, 3D Touch, which I miss. Rest in peace, 3D Touch. 3D yeah. Touch is so good. I still it's have it so on my good. 10. I, like, this year, I'm definitely getting a new phone, but uh, getting rid of 3D Touch on my phone. It, it's fine, because like, they're like, oh, you can just replace it with haptic touch. Just press in a little longer. You don't press down, you Hell just press no, in. Hell no, dude. It's it not, is the, not same. the same. It's thing. not the same. Thank you. Not at all. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, for all this talk of like what-if games, because I kind of went on a tangent with Game Boy... We haven't really touched on ones we know are coming. I mean, obviously, a biggie is Smash Bros. Getting uh, Kazuya from Tekken. There's going to be a presentation about it in, like, a week. Monster Hero Sakurai is going to do his usual 40-minute spiel on June 28th. So I think we could probably just wait and do all that together next episode. Likewise, like, two days after E3, uh, the Pokemon company, because they do whatever they want, they're crazy, they chose two days after E3 to announce that Pokemon Unite is coming to Switch next month and mobile in September. So that might be fun to share impressions of once it's actually out. That's their kind of 5v5 Dota-style Pokemon game. Where Mr. Mime wears a top hat, so there's that. But there are games there are games from E3, from the Direct, from third parties that we do need a way in on. Like, literally everything that wasn't by Nintendo, which means finally, Kevin, Shimagami Tensei Five. we finally got to it. It only took, like, an hour. How are you feeling about it? I imagine that must have... You feeling it, or is it? Was it what uh, you wanted yeah, it to be? Yeah, it looks cool. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a Shin Megami Tensei game, which is exactly what I want right now. Uh, I still haven't picked up Shin Megami Tensei threes, but uh, I might. I'm, I'm going on vacation this upcoming weekend, so I'll probably have some time to play that. Uh, no, I, it, it looks cool. It looks so. All the Shin Megami Tensei games are standalone, so you don't necessarily have to play one, two, three, or four to understand this one. This one looks. Uh, a little more in line with Shimigami Tensei 4 where you got this like post-apocalyptic Japan but at the same time you're also a student so it also does give off some Persona vibes and I've always said this but the Persona games or maybe to a less extent the Persona games but definitely the Shimigami Tensei games they're just Pokemon games for nihilists and <laughs> that is exactly what like I want to play so right. I'm super excited about that. The it the game looks budget as hell. It looks like an early PS3 game, but I'm I'm fine with it. 
It's it's crazy it does because yeah, I kind of got that impression too. Especially like in the treehouse, they're like, oh, look at the flowing blue hair. I'm like, that just looks like a chunk of polygons to me. But I don't understand because Nintendo like money had it. This they got the exclusive. They are co-marketing it. They're saying it up as like the Switch's big November exclusive. Like outside Pokemon, the Switch's big release in November is Shimagami Tensei Five, and yet. Where did that money go? Like I don't. It does four look looks really, really good on the 3ds. So I don't yeah. know what happened here. It, it looks, it looks like it has Vaseline like smeared all over the screen, which I know we always say when it comes to like ports of. Uh, well, well, do you like think it's just they're not sure how to modernize it? Because I feel like some other franchises have gone through this too, where when they make the jump to HD or when they go from being primarily handheld after being you know primarily like 64 bit. Uh, it they kind of have growing pains. Like Pokemon almost went through this too. I mean, I think it just might be the art style. The art style is definitely weak compared to SMT4's art style, and definitely con- compared to Persona 5's art style. So, and I right, don't think right. there's there should be really any hardware limitations when it comes to this game. I mean, it's not trying to set the world on fire. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know, but like the graphics are going to be. At least my worries. I, I mean, to a degree, it is disappointing that this doesn't look as good as uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions, which was a Wii U game of all things. Yeah. But I think that that definitely does have to do with the art style. So I think that's where it really dropped the ball. But aside from that, I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna play the hell out of this game. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured. Like, watching that segment on Chaos Live, I'm like, oh, Kevin's going to be all about this. The, the segment did go a little too long. I it think did. you could have you could have gone without explaining exactly what the battle system is. You could have just shown little tidbits of it. Uh, and like the- No one's really interested in the battle system. Like I'm sure if you just show some combat you would think, hey, that's just standard RPG. Because when you see that trailer and they show you that combat I, I don't know who isn't going to think, hey, that's just a standard RPG, you know? Yeah, right. So yeah. The fact that yeah. they had to explain it, it's like people already know this. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Trios Live. You've is already int- sold this game to to the people that you want to sell it. Just you know, don't force it down people's throats. Yeah, yeah. Tri- Trios Live is always interesting to me because it it's one of the few presentations in E3 history, I guess you could say, where Nintendo like nails the vibe for the most part. Like they get, you know, have it be kind of loose, have it be kind of silly, have them goof around with one another, but like properly explain the games. But then every once in a while. They kind of treat it like you've never played that genre. And it's sort of like, I understand you're trying to like cross reference things to people that maybe don't know. But if you're someone who's dedicating three and a half hours of your day to watching Treehouse Live after watching a 40 minute in town presentation, to your point, they could probably skip over some of the real like, well, there's this menu and in this menu you have multiple attacks and then you pick your attack. And like, obviously I'm being facetious at the degree they did it, but like there's a level to your point where they could go a little past, like even, Honestly, some of the Metroid stuff they're showing, they did two segments for Metroid. And it's great, but, like, there are parts of it where I'm just like, I feel like this is a little either redundant or unnecessary or I don't even know what. Like, they, like Advance Wars um, kind of had a bit of that, but it was pretty tight. And then WarioWare, I thought they did great because it was, like, 10 minutes. And, like, Rocket Spoiler, they were just going to show you the mechanics, and they moved on. And I think, like, at times, it could just be a little snappier. But they do still have in my opinion, the best presentation format of any of the companies. Like, the Treehouse. Like, other companies have tried it, kind of. Hasn't really worked. Like, Nintendo, I don't know what it is, but they, they got the formula almost down to a science. It was my opinion. Are we going to talk a little bit about the rest of the show? Because that yeah, that no. uh, Coach Media presentation... Dreadful. Yeah, you know, you want to say Just that... Just absolutely um, horrendous. 
why don't we just run through what third party games were interesting, you right. know, each of us, and then yeah, no, we should dive in because there's Summer Game Fest, there's all the other presentations, and then maybe we give a grade to E3 as a whole and wrap the show or something like that. Because yeah, it's I think Nintendo we're like in our Nintendo bubble, and it was a really good bubble. But if you go outside that bubble, E3 was like a hellscape. <laughs> like it was, it was madness. So so before we get to that, let's just power through the third party stuff. Angel, was there any game that jumped out to even you? As a, even as like a outside of Nintendo. Not really, and if anything, you know, the only one I would have had any interest in, in the only conference I would have had any interest in is, was Capcom. And then nothing new. And pretty much like, pretty much like just, I mean, even even if they did have anything new, um, I almost felt they did a great attorney disservice by showing it for so long and going into so much detail of how like the game And straight worked. up spoiling a twist. Like I felt like... They just, admitted they were spoiling a yeah, twist. Yeah, like I felt... Like, I feel like they should... I mean, I honestly didn't even watch, like, the whole thing. Because at some point, it just felt like, wow, this is so redundant. Like, you just need to know it's a... Like a... I don't know. It's basically like a murder mystery kind of game. And you're just, like, looking for clues and that kind of stuff. But then they sit there and have you, like, watch a And that... Thing. And then that's before, you know, they go through the whole Monster Hunter thing again. Like, Monster Hunter Rise crossover with Monster Hunter Stories 2. Like, yeah, we already knew that from, like, two weeks ago. And that, honestly, is what I'm getting at with Treehouse Live. Like, they have pacing issues with Treehouse Live sometimes, but generally, they under, or generally, they understand that the direct is where you go, here's boom, 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 just some info, mostly, and then Treehouse Live is where you go a little deeper. Sometimes they go too deep, but it's better than, like, you know, Square Enix spending 20 of their 40 minutes showing Guardians of the Galaxy four times, for example. But, um, which actually, interestingly, coming to Switch, cloud game, not even mentioned in those twenty minutes. Nintendo had to say it the next day, which is strange. Wasn't but, it? It was in the trailer, though. No, not non Square Enix. No, no, no. But I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying, it was, I'm little, saying it was a blurb direct, in the direct trailer. It was, yeah, uh, yeah. It was, yeah, on yeah, there was a disclaimer. Yeah, no, but I mean, like yeah. in Square Enix presentation, they spent so long saying Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy. They couldn't once say on Switch. <laughs> like they just. 20 minutes they didn't mention it. It was very strange. Well, did they even say on the rest of the consoles? I'm pretty yeah. sure they said no, they had something along the lines they had the, like, this they had is the going to be screen. on every single... Mm-mm. No, they, they definitely had the logos because I look... Because, like, Guardians is weird in that it looks both kind of janky but also kind of interesting at the same time. <laughs> like, the banter's a little over the top and some of the action combat looks a little weird but something about it is kind of like, this is kind of interesting. I might, I would consider playing this potentially. And then I saw the logos at the end of the trailer, and it was just Xbox, Xbox, PlayStation, PlayStation, PC. And I was like, oh, all right, so much for that. And then the next morning, it's like, gotcha, also Switch. They did the same thing with Life is Strange. Um, Life is Strange remastered collection or whatever they're calling it, the new one, True Color, showed it in their presentation on Monday or Sunday, and they're like, hey, it's on not Nintendo. And then on Tuesday, they're like, hey, it's now on Nintendo. I'm just like, what? What are they? Why? Why would you do that? But... Yeah. It, that was probably like Nintendo being like, don't say anything. This is going to be huge on the Switch. So, uh, this is going to be good for our direct. So just don't say anything. Yeah, I guess. But then other games like Mario and Rabbids got to be in both. So, which actually, you know, before I even get to like the third party ones that interest me, cause it sounds like Andrew, you didn't have a, but before I even get to that, Mario and Rabbids, that actually looks pretty good. Like, how do you guys feel about Sparks of Hope? That's the title, I think. It definitely yeah, okay. it definitely looks like battle <laughs> definitely looks like uh Battle Kingdom with a different uh battle system. I mean I I do like how yeah, the battle system I mean, it, it looks like a quality game. I just yeah, just Yeah, they they got rid of the grid to your point, Kevin. Yeah. It just looks quality. It looks like quality. Yeah, I, I do like how it's leaning pretty heavily on Mario Galaxy, which it's weird because it felt like a very contemporary it from, choice. It went from uh, XCOM 
XCOM uh, style of combat to Divinity, which Divinity is a really, really good uh, RPG for any of those. Doesn't I, it doesn't have the RPG. same name? Divinity Original as Two is on uh, is on Switch now too. Oh, there you go. So if you want uh, to whet your appetite with that style of game, there you go. But yeah, I I, I was starting to say that um, like because the bow thing, like all I saw was oh the grid's gone. This is where my train of thought went. But I was more like whoa Mario Galaxy, which what I started to say is it's weird in that it felt like a contemporary choice. Like oh that's cool, they're referencing something pretty recent. Mario Galaxy's fourteen years old. I then realized, and I feel really old. So I guess it's actually a throwback. This is actually a nostalgia play, Mario Galaxy, which is weird to think about. But um, creatively, it, it does open up the game. I mean, in a literal sense, very pretty-looking worlds, very, very, very varying designs. You know, ba- and based on the trailer, obviously the the battles have opened up to be more freeform. But also, figuratively, I was reading an IGN interview, and the developers were saying that you're not just going point A to B and guiding Mario and the Rabbids. You are exploring these planets. Like there will be characters to talk to, puzzles to solve. You're moving around in kind of a free way. So it's kind of cool that, like, not just that this game that ended up being surprisingly good is getting to, you know, uh, stretch it. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not stretch its arms, but expand its reach or whatever. It's getting to do more than it wanted to do originally. But, like, if you stop and think about what this game was when it was first leaked and how ridiculed it was, and then it had that moment where it's like, oh, it's actually good, and then it leaked again. Sparks of Hope leaked the morning of the presentation for Ubisoft, and the difference in how people reacted to when it leaked with the original game and how people reacted to when it leaked with this game and then seeing the ambition and like the, the how they're really just going all in with like kind of opening up the world like that's gotta be some next further level of like vindication and gratification for those developers like that's so cool that they you know they you could literally compare the two leaks and it's just night and day it's like props to them that they gotta kind of like see their dream through and now go even further with it like that's super cool but um yeah, in terms of games I'm actually excited about from third parties, I, I don't know if I have one game that's immediately as like, oh, absolutely, as Shimigami probably was for you, Kevin, but I am very much looking forward to two surprises from uh, the Nintendo Direct, Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania and Cruisin' Blast. And I, I really wish Monkey Ball didn't leak the day before because the way they framed that trailer in the Direct with like the orb coming towards Earth, only for it to be I I I E I E I I whatever. Then you know, sort of slowly peeling back how this is in fact the HD remake of Monkey Ball One and Two, and I guess the bonus stages from Deluxe. But to sort of like unroll that info, and oh, no pun intended. But to sort of unroll that info the way they did in the trailer, like the pacing of that trailer, it was just I would have lost my mind because like this is exactly if I if it wasn't leaked because this is exactly what I wanted when we first got wind of Banana Blitz HD coming to Switch a year or so ago like I bought Banana Blitz HD or I guess two years ago now but I bought it because I hoped sort of like what we were saying with Advance Wars sort of like with Metro you know speaking with my wallet would get us this and it did and that's awesome and like to be fair Banana Blitz I, I didn't find it to be bad but it's a game that tried to change up a formula, right? It had jumping, it had boss battles, monkey target was uh, structured differently, and it was fine. But there's a reason the original Monkey Ball games are so revered. The, the puzzles, the mini games, not just monkey target in its best form, but monkey fight, monkey billiard, monkey golf. 
and they're now augmenting all that with online leaderboards. There's new rifts on the gameplay. There's a thing called Dark Banana Mode where instead of collecting the bananas as you roll, you have to avoid the bananas. And then on top of that, because it's for Monkey Ball's 20th anniversary, they're doing like all sorts of franchise throwbacks. So you'll be able to not just customize your monkey and his or her ball with different outfits and colors, but there's going to be skins of past Monkey Ball designs, including the original arcade and GameCube book of the characters. There's going to be uh, various versions they're offering that come with different stuff. There's a physical anniversary edition, a digital deluxe. You can get skins where you roll around as other Sega characters like Sonic or weirdly Sega hardware. So you have a Genesis or a Dreamcast in your Monkey Ball. Uh, it's odd, but I guess kind of neat. But like, they're really going all in. Like that physical edition, it's 40 bucks. You get a 40 page art book. It's just like the, the contrast between what you get for 40 bucks with this, which has way more content, it's like 300 stages or something, versus what Banana Bliss HD offered two years ago. Like it's just night and day. That possibly the only downside is the physical edition here. Um, some of the items that are in the digital deluxe edition are not in the physical edition, the classic and console character skin. So you have to actually pay a separate $5 DLC price if you want, you know, to roll around as a game gear or whatever. But even then, like 45 bucks, you're still getting so much more content than Banana Blitz HD and you're getting the best content. Like this is the best. This is prime monkey ball. And this to me is just how you do a remake and anniversary. I mean, I would, I would buy it regardless, just a proper monkey target that'll look good on a modern TV. Like my GameCube's hooked up, but going, you know, putting a, Standard definition 4.3 game onto a 4K TV in 16.9 is not going to look great, uh, which is also something I'm really looking forward to with Mario Party Superstars because I have all those on my N60. Well, I have two of them on my N64 hooked up to that same TV, but it's not going to look good. But so a prettier version on its own is fine, and I'm excited for that. But the amount of love and care Sega's putting into this edition of Monkey Ball in this collection is just really awesome, and I'm, I'm pretty excited for it. Um, Cruise and Blast, similar story. Uh, it's really, I mean, really it's just a port of an already existing game. One that's a little harder to come by, perhaps. Uh, Nintendo, you know, Cruisin' is a Nintendo property, but for all intents and purposes, they've handed off the franchise to Raw Thrills, who made an arcade game that is around. Like, I had the opportunity to try it at Dave & Buster's years ago. I think I shared impressions here on the show at the time. Um, but basically my mindset coming out of playing it what? was... Yeah, I know, right, Angel? It was like 20... Ooh. You were there, actually, when I played it. And I think I even said to you right after I played it, like, this needs to be on Switch. Um, and it's just like, it yeah, awesome. no, I I'll, I can dig it up. It's like episode one, I don't know, 70 or 80, I think. It was like just a... Whatever you say. Okay, but um, yeah, for those who don't want to dig through our, own, our old episodes and try to find it or and never played Cruising Blast, um, it's like the purest take on an arcade racer you can get. I Like, the vehicle selection... Varies from licensed cars to a hoverboat to literally a shark and a unicorn and a dinosaur. Like it's whatever it wants to be. The arcade cabinet itself doesn't even have a brake pedal. The game's less about like you know drifting ah! corner. And what was that? <laughs> oh, a spider fell on my head. <laughs> what? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Wow. <laughs> might have to edit that out. <laughs> nope. Well, yeah, you might have to. But that was that was. Wow. That was something. I thought you just, I, I you wake honestly, up anyone that Kevin, thought you were just that shocked that there's a racing game without a brake pedal. That's why I thought oh, that. Jesus was Christ. But I'm not usually kidding. afraid of spiders. But it landed yeah. on you. Oh, yeah. God. Yep. But yeah, the, um, I don't even know how to segue back. Uh, you cannot ride a spider in this game. I can tell you that. That's the one thing this game doesn't have. But, um. Well, don't acknowledge it. Now I gotta keep it in. Oh, you're keeping it in. I, you're keeping it in. Uh, just, <laughs> would you prefer not? Do I cut this all out? 
No, it's fine. Okay. Um, I see how the sausage gets made. Yeah. Listeners. Yeah. It's as if we're live. You're just listening to it like days later. But, um, yeah, what I was trying to say about the game is the, like, the camera doesn't have a brake pedal. The game's not even about, like, how you, like, drive well. It's just, like, it's more about, like, the insanity and the max speed you can hit as you try and do, like, ridiculous things like you're outrunning a loose Ferris wheel, you're driving on the roof of a moving train in London. So, you're, like, you're really focused on boosts and jumps and, you know, it's it's like the cruising games of old if you've ever played them. You know, like the double tap accelerate to boost mechanic, like double tap to brake, I mean the gas pedal type of thing. But the game is just really wild, weird, crazy fun in, like, a very Excite Truck, Excite Bots kind of way. So... Um, actually kind of interesting when reading up on it on what's new in the Switch port I learned that Raw Thrills who is this is the first arcade game of theirs they're handling the port directly for for consoles um, their co-founder who is working on this game is actually the guy who originally made the cruising series over at Midway with Nintendo or Nintendo on the IP or however that worked Whoa. so if you like any cruising games like literally this is the USA. yeah it's USA World whatever the other ones were called like this is probably worth having on your radar i mean have you guys even played the cruising games am i preaching to a choir here or is this all just usa it's fun right <laughs> it's, it's, an, it's an arcadey racing game yeah. um it, it's not bad it's not amazing i had fun with it but i it's not really a game i would revisit okay that's fair that's fair i mean i unless it's like my specific copy on the n64 specifically for the nostalgia right. Kevin, do you ever play like the Cruisins or even like Hydro Thunder or something? I think that has the same people. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like in arcades or in general, just anywhere. In the world. Yeah, cruising the <laughs> cruising world or whatever it was called, the one where it has the the lady singing cruising. Oh, the you should watch the trailer the for this, not the one in the direct. Oh, no, yeah, I, I, I she saw sings. The She's back. Yeah, it's equally it's awful. Pretty good. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's uh, yeah, it looks cool, and, and what. Well, I appreciate so if you guys like those at all, this might be worth checking out. Why I really appreciate that they're doing with the Switch version is kind of like with Monkey Ball Banana Mania, they're just piling on content. Like the original arcade game was only five tracks, but for Switch they're upping it to twenty nine tracks, which is a lot. I mean, some some people online have found that at least in a few cases, the extra tracks are kind of funny enough being taken from other raw thrill arcade racers that never got put on consoles, but nonetheless. They're still increasing the game's variety sixfold, which is crazy. And, you know, we're talking everything from UFOs attacking cities to prehistoric wildernesses to uh, dinosaurs to Aztec jungles to, uh, you know, those windmills when you go out to Palm Springs or Coachella, like you're driving down like the 10 or whatever. And it's just like that windmill farm out there, the wind power. That's a track. But that's the kind of thing about cruising is like there's some normal stuff that anchors it. And then there's just like ridiculous, crazy, weird. So probably keep an eye on i think the one bummer is that there's no online support planned as of now uh it's either you versus the Wait, computer. what yeah it's either you versus oh the computer, that's lame you versus four friends in split screen or you against four other switches locally um on the one hand yeah i agree it's lame especially in this day and age it's a huge missed opportunity but i think back to how much at least for me personally i played excitebot uh sorry not excitebots excite truck against the computer how much I, you know, in my pursuit of recapturing that arcade racer feeling, placed, tried stuff like Asphalt 9 and Horizon Chase Zero and played that against computers. Uh, Asphalt 6 on the DSi was like one of my go-tos. Ridge Racer DS, as awful as it was, was one of my go-tos when I was younger. None of those are online, and I still had an absolute blast with them. So 
I'm hoping it's not too detrimental here, and maybe they then yeah. can do it later on, but it's definitely going to hurt its sales overall. So, like, just for me personally, I'm me. fine, but it's definitely going to hurt, yeah. Um, like, really, at this point, the questions about the game for me are, how much is this going to cost? When is it coming out? Because all they're saying is, quote-unquote, fall, and will they add a break button? Because I, I feel like if you're doing a console version, a break button feels a bit more necessary. I don't know. I don't know why. It just seems weird. But I guess time will tell for all three. Uh, but yeah, those are the two. Coward. What? Why am I a coward for the break button? You feeling like you need a break? Maybe button? I don't, but I don't know. It just seems like it. It just seems like one button controls. I guess it could work. I guess it could work. Maybe I'll take back, take that back. But it's weird how my bigger question is a break button over online play, which should be the given. But but yeah, like honestly, that that we kind of touched on. But that was one of the nice things about E3 this year, at least in the Nintendo bubble was excluding, you know, Zelda, excluding Mario Rabbids, as we talked about, excluding, I guess, Cruisin'. Every game that we have covered this episode, every game that was in Nintendo's Direct, minus, you know, these, uh, had a date. They're all coming on a specific date. Like, the Switch lineup looks pretty solid. It's about, starting in, let's say, August, it's about game a month at minimum from a first party or from a big third-party partner, Most, in some cases, multiple games. So that's pretty good. But then beyond Nintendo's bubble is where E3 gets really weird, which, Kevin, you wanted to talk about with, like, Koch Media, right? Oh, well, that Koch Media presentation was, like, absolutely horrible. <laughs> I thought Capcom's... Uh, I'm not going to mince words. Uh, Capcom's was so... It wasn't bad, but, like, just because you can doesn't mean that you have to. Right. And especially, And that was especially true with Capcom. And I we went... We went back and forth a little bit, like, yeah. off the uh, podcast when you were saying that Capcom didn't really mislead uh, the fans, but they kind of did me mislead their fans when they said, we're going to give you updates on they our upcoming games, though. including these four games, and all we got info was on those four games. Technically and not one true. Of them wasn't you... One of them wasn't, okay, but all... all the entire update that we got on Resident Evil was like, hey, the game sold well, we're going to do DLC. No new content, no nothing, except a new title card that said, hey, we're going to work on this. Yeah. Not even a title card, it was just some... It didn't even have, like, a logo, it was just, like, text. It was just like, DLC yeah, exactly. is coming. Yeah, no, I, um... Yeah, I think there is, to your point when we talked about... So when we talked about off-air, like, when it was unfolding, my point was like, hey, Capcom didn't lie, they're probably the most honest about their presentation. I still stand by that. They said they were going to do a few things. They did them. They said including, implying something else, and there was they something else. They said that they were they going to do e-sports. a few things, including the four things, and that yes. was it. Yes. Esports does not count as a game. They didn't say it. Because they said that... They said they had they things, news to share, didn't they? Either way, the point is, um, my point was, I appreciated the earnesty of, they just said, here's what we're doing, and they did it. What I don't think was necessary was them doing anything at all, to your point. I think this E3 was, I, I sort of said this as, you know, elsewhere in the show, but it was very much a big red, like the more E3 unfolded, the more this big flashing neon sign got brighter. It's just like pandemic problems, like COVID screwed things up. Things are delayed. We don't have anything to show, but they need, they want their presence known. So they still did stuff. There's no reason. I know I've said it a few times. There's no reason Guardians of the Galaxy needed 20 minutes in that presentation to show the same thing three different ways. There's no reason Capcom needed to do anything they did. There's no reason, you know, uh, 
you know, if you look at the E3 stream, actually, there's no reason that half the companies that that uh, E3 itself gave time to all these little companies you've never heard of, like uh, things one call like Freedom Games, like who are they? And they have 700 followers on Twitter. Like, there's no reason that they all, everyone needed to put this much energy and attention into a show where they just the games weren't there. Like Microsoft had really great showing, I thought, but almost all the games were next year. And it's just kind of like, that's fine if you want to do that, but like, there didn't need to be this much hubbubaloo. And I understand it's for E3 to keep its brand recognition and its presence, but, and Nintendo obviously, and Microsoft kind of carried it, but like, there was definitely a big neon sign going, pandemic messed up everyone's release schedules. I mean, the fact that Warner Brothers Games has like five games in development from, you know, the new Batman to Suicide Squad to the Hogwarts game. And there's like, all we're going to do is back for blood and we're going to do it in three different press conferences. It's like, all right, like maybe that's a sign that we don't need it to this extent. So um, the, the, the thing that threw me off was actually, now that I think about it, it was really weird how, never mind what people showed. It was really weird how little of what they showed was on Switch. Like the juxtaposition of NPD numbers coming out on the Monday of E3, in the middle of E3, and Switch being the top-selling console for 30 straight months. And then contrasting that, looking at every press conference minus Capcom and one game in Ubisoft, pretending the system doesn't exist was super weird. I mean, the, the... You act surprised. We talk about this all the time. Third parties not supporting the Switch? A, like, what... Well, the, no, the reason I find the, the reason the... I find it weird is because, like, when the Wii had that happen, there was, like, at least shovelware or, like, weird little side projects or tiny little things. And the difference with the Wii yeah, was... Yeah, but that the was a of shovelware one. is, like, over. No, I know, but... The, Unless but, you're on PC. That, like, that, there's no... Oh, that's... Yeah, Steam's a mess. Steam's on, a mess. PC. No, yeah. but I, I guess it's just strange because, like, the Switch has kind of cut its teeth on actually being a gamer machine where there's, like, ports of games from other consoles that are, like, actual gamer games, if you want, opposed to the casual shovelware of the Wii. And yet... I, I don't know. Like, it's so weird. They just weren't there. And I understand, you know, Square Enix, we talked about a little bit, how they maybe Nintendo was like, save it for us, we'll show Guardians, as if it's a thing you didn't see yesterday. But I don't know, it was just really weird. I understand that, yeah, a lot of their parties of support, but like you look at the Switch, like you look at that sales chart, right? Half of the top 20 games are on are available on Switch. I don't even mean just first party games. Like, yeah, new Pokemon Snip, Snap was the highest of the bunch. I think it dropped like one spot. Pokemon Snip. Pokemon oh, Snip. Man. Can, you, can like... you imagine that game? You're, you're going to the doctors <laughs> and Scizor is right there waiting for you. Oh, man. Poor Ash. Yep. Poor Ash. But yeah, no, I was going to say like that. Okay, sure. So like Pokemon Snap was obviously the biggest one. It went down like one spot. But you, but like Monster Hunter Rise was on the list. Mortal Kombat 11 was on the list. Minecraft was on the list. Like multi-platform games that are on Switch were in that top 22. So it's not like it's just Nintendo's own games. Obviously, it skews that way. A bunch of them were Nintendo, but it's not exclusively. It just seeing that and then turning around and seeing everyone but Capcom go like, oh, yeah, I don't know what the Switch is. was just so weird. And even Capcom was like, we know what the Switch is with games we told you about three months ago. So it's just like the whole thing was just really bizarre. Like, it, I don't know. It uh... Well, in the case of Capcom, you have this, this uh, tried and tested formula with Monster Hunter where Nintendo fans will flock to a Monster Hunter yeah. game, not only yeah. in Japan, but over here. As opposed to like everybody else, you're sort of asking them to 
either dumb down their game, which just makes that game inferior, and players will always think that this is just the inferior version of game A or game B, or you make exclusives, and I think just nowadays with how much game development costs, people, or not people, but, but devs and publishers are just not willing to accept that risk. Yeah. No matter how much it, That's no true. matter how much the, the Switch has sold. And That's to why that you end, get these little half steps like Guardians of the Galaxy. I bet you it cost way, way less, maybe like a quarter of the amount of money to just have a cloud version as opposed to either making a native version or a dumbed down version. Right. No, that, that's fair. And I, maybe I just wanted to see more cloud stuff. I don't even know exactly. I just thought it was so weird how little the Switch was in the conversation at all. Um, cause yeah, to your point, I, the dev cost, uh, especially as we move further into PS5 and Xbox series letters, you know, as we go deeper down that road or further down that road, of course, it's going to be harder to bring the stuff to Switch. Guardians being a cloud game. There's another one that was a plague, whatchamacallit. Um, it was in the Xbox conference, a plague. Something that was later confirmed. Oh, Plague Tale. Yeah, uh, that's coming to Switch gotcha. as a cloud Plague game Tale. as well. Um, at least the is original the first is. one coming out as a. It's the original. I mean, yeah, the, the the first one is coming to Switch as a. Cloud oh, so game. not. A, oh, okay. Yeah, sorry, not the sequel. But either way, like there there are like little glimmers of that. It's just with that big of an audience, you'd think a few companies would be like, mm, maybe if we could just throw it on a server, maybe. But but again, I think part of it's also like even their lineups of their own game of their games on the big systems the PS5 and the Xbox even that was very haphazard because like it was just a weird year and i think i think we should have like the really the warning sign was summer game fest where it was like two big announcements at the start one big announcement at the end and that was a big announcement i mean elden ring people have wanted that for a long time but um in between it was like like the analogy i've been running with is if last year's summer game fest was like a shared google calendar this year's Summer Game Fest was kind of like a Twitter feed. So you go through your Twitter feed and, you know, occasionally there's a really cool trailer for something, but mostly it's like, hey, remember this car in uh, Rocket League? It's back. And you're like, oh, okay. And it's like, hey, you want to check out this uh, cool video of a Sonic uh, Symphony? Well, we'll show you a brief little clip here on Twitter, but you need to click through to the YouTube video for the full thing. And then that was, you know, like a week later or it hasn't even happened yet or whatever. So like, it felt like Summer Game Fest was just kind of like this like weird, like excerpts of other things mixed with occasionally cool things mixed weirdly like press release type of stuff. I mean, literally they had a company come out and be like, we're a new studio. We have nothing to announce, but we exist, which, you know, that's what a Twitter thread is for. So it just like that, I think that weird blend of announcements at the start of the week was sort of setting the tone for what the week was going to be. And I'm Nintendo not just necessarily opposed. Through. I'm not yeah. necessarily opposed to what Jeff Keighley did this year as opposed to last year because yeah. I thought last year's Summer Game Fest was a mess. It's yeah. like you got these these sporadic announcements that weren't even always that great. I I I absolutely liked what he did here. Where yeah, it was just a Twitter feed, but at least the feed was like you were getting a new tweet every every two or three minutes as opposed to last year where you got a new tweet once every month. Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely is moving in the right direction. I agree. And I think also like, I don't even knock necessarily like Jeff Keighley for it. Cause like, I, I, I genuinely believe how this went down. If you look at how the content, like the range of content was, he went to like the Elden Ring guys or someone's like, Hey, I had this summer game festing. Let's do this. And they're like, Oh, cool. Let's do this. And then he went to, Rocket League is like, hey, I have this summer game festing, and they're like, ah, we have a fi- Fast and Furious car. That's all we really got. 
And then he went somewhere else. He's like, hey, I have this in. Like, well, COVID slowed us, slowed us down a bit, but we got um, we got a five-second trailer. I forgot which game it was. There was a game that literally had a five-second trailer. Do you remember that? It was like, we'll show uh, them. You know what I'm talking about, though. Like, it was like seven seconds long. It's just like it flashed something, and they're like, stay tuned. It's going to be like. Definitely it was a thing. Not. But, like, I feel like this he year? just. Hmm? Yeah, this year. Uh, this yeah, year? Yeah, yeah, It was for. Because uh, I can think of. I can think of that one game prologue at the Game Awards a couple of No, it was it was ago. it was shorter than that. It was I can't remember what it was. Oh, it was for Valorant. It was for revealing their new character. They showed the helmet and that was it. It was like five seconds. He looked kinda of like a weird Daft Punk guy. And they're like, Stay tuned for more from Valorant in the coming months or whatever. But it was it was just like so many of these little things where they're just like, Yeah, we'll throw him a bone. But he already like bookended it with the big announcement, so he was just like I'll take what I can get. Which isn't his fault. That's just the industry's current state due to circumstances out of his control. But it was just kind of a weird, like, roller coaster that it went on. But I, I do appreciate existing. And I do think, on some level, having it be a Twitter feed and sort of tuning, having everyone sort of tune in to see what to be excited for later in the week is kind of cool. But announcements of announcements of announcements halfway through got a little tiresome, in my opinion. But. I mean, Angel, you, you've been kind of quiet. Where Where's the C3 rate for you? How'd you feel in general? Uh, I don't know. I Honestly, like, I didn't really pay much attention to E3 or really seek out any news on my own. It just kind of came to me. And even then, like, it was just, like, extremely passive. Like, the only time I ever paid attention was, like, Nintendo. And, you know, I rate that, like, above average, mm-hmm. personally. So, like, you know, it's like a B. Like, it didn't... I don't know. Actually, damn. Like, Metroid alone probably makes it an A. I mean, even Smash Bros. was like, like, yeah, it's cool. Like, I mean, I have nothing against Kazuya, but... Kind of everything else... I don't know. It was, it's definitely one of the few E3s where I feel there were so many games that were announced where I think I thought to myself in my head... Oh, this is gonna make X so and so happy. So and so happy. That was mostly Nintendo, it. right? It was just that like... that? No, 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 oh, no. Really? In general, in general, like, 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 like anything I heard in general was just kind of that. Because nothing really caught my eye too much, and honestly, I'm kind of happy right. about that. I mean, there's plenty of games coming out. I mean, we have Ace Attorney. Like, as much as I would have wished they didn't talk as much about it, um, we have that coming out this month. Uh, next month, next month, around the 18th, I think, of July. But this oh, month, so, this we week, have, we have Mario Golf. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we have yeah we have golf this week. Still, still playing through Monster Hunter. Like honestly, yeah, I'm. These games need to chill. <laughs> where where yeah. would uh Ken, where would you rate everything? It's funny. I saw a lot of discourse along the lines of like, "Oh, Nintendo saved D three, but even as strong as a showing as Nintendo had, nothing could save this." Yeah. E3 overall. Mm-hmm. Nintendo could have knocked it out of the park with like a Zelda that I would have wanted to, to see, like a Zelda that I want, not Breath of the Wild 2, mm-hmm. and that still wouldn't have been enough to save this E3. Yeah, I, I'm kind of It was just a lackluster. If you had to grade it, what would you grade it? I mean, Angel apparently gave it like a, what'd you say it was, Angel, in your mind? This, a B? this overall E3? Like a, a, like a okay. high B. I mean, well, I mean, I, I can't, I, I don't think it's fair for me to grade overall E3 because yeah, like I said, like I don't care about the other stuff for the most part. Like, I can't, I I, I can't be in a state where I'm like, oh man, like Ethan needs to be saved. 
It's all on you, last two presenters. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'm not going to watch the Microsoft one or the Ubisoft one. I mean, yeah, there's rabbits there, but most of their games usually don't right, appeal right. to me overall. I mean, unless they have like a 2D, like Rayman game, and I would just hear about them after mm-hmm. the fact. So, yeah, it's, it's very much like a show me the whole platter of games that were announced in total, and I'll just pick and choose what I want. Right, right. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think I'm more in the Kevin direction in terms of like, because Kevin, you, you, you like holistically, like E3 is a thing in your mind, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same way. Because, I mean, I say this, you guys have been spared almost the entire episode, but every time I go to E3, I always on the podcast, like, you know what I love about E3 is, like, the industry's all together. You're, like, at the epicenter of everything. It really, like, it feels like, you know, you're there. The games are there. The people are there. It's, like, this cool communal moment. I mean, the fact that that wasn't here this year, like, I tried to recreate. I watched uh, all the big... Was awesome. I, like, yeah, okay. I, I watched, like, all the big press conferences. I got up early for Microsoft, even though... Okay, like why? Um, but I watched, you know, I watched Ubisoft, I watched Microsoft, I, I watched most of it. I was watching Summer Game Fest, I was tweeting along, I was following Twitter, I was having fun with it. But it just isn't the same. And the fact that there weren't the games to really like back it up, like there weren't like the big shock and awe type of whoa moments, which is hard to do when you don't have the communal aspects of a live crowd at a press conference or, you know, the seven hour line at a show for or just the giant elaborate booth. Like that definitely knocked it down a few pegs beyond just what the games were. Yeah, I definitely miss the stuff that isn't the games. Yeah. Like, you know, we have, usually have that indie yeah, mixer just yeah. hanging out with friends at the mixer or walking around. Yeah, or like even last year, Twitter had that. that random party, Twitter gaming, that was pretty fun at Bowling Alley. Like just all that, like just being in that environment where everyone's there with the same passion. It's it's true of Comic-Con too. Like I miss that about live events. And I'm going to understand it's a virtually three, so I can't knock it too much, but not having games to like counteract that in a broader sense, definitely knocked it down. Um, I would probably say it was like a C plus B minus. But then Nintendo came in, and I'm not saying they saved it. I'm not saying they won it. Uh, even though, as I tweeted earlier today, actually, uh, Nintendo does have the top five most pre-ordered games at GameStop during E3. So they kind of won it in that sense. But my point is, they, for me, lifted it up a little. The excitement and the, like, discourse around what they announced and kind of this return of the Game Boy Advance era and, like, all that, like, old franchises coming back and everything, like, that energy, while it was online and wasn't the same as in person, it did feel a little like, oh, my God, this is a cool moment. So that helped it to be, like, a strong B or, like, a maybe a B plus. But E3 as a whole, if you took out Nintendo and just had everything else, even Microsoft, which I thought had a really solidly paced presentation, the fact that it was all so far away kind of deflates some of it. Like Horizon, uh, Forza Horizons, one game they announced that is coming this year besides Halo, um, looks really great. Like the graphics are insane and that was super cool, but like that alone isn't what makes E3 worth it. Although I do love to go play it at their booth when there's a physical E3, uh, specifically Horizons. But, um, yeah, so I don't know. It was like, it was a really weird year because it was E3, but it wasn't. And the fact that it wasn't and didn't have the games to back it knocked it down, but then Nintendo lifted it up. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to set a, like a B, B plus borderline, I think. Um, it was, it was I'd probably go uh, overall because there there are games that I am excited for. Elden Ring, I'm super hyped for. Uh, Metal Slug Tactics looks awesome, mm-hmm. and Metroid obviously being there. And like, there, I'm I'm sure there are games that I'm that I'm totally forgetting that were announced. But the fact that I'm forgetting that they're announced, like that, just I think shows how much. Or how little this E3 mattered in the grand yeah. scheme of things. Yeah. 
so many players like, were missing too. You know, EA wasn't there, Activision wasn't there, Take Two wasn't there, Sony wasn't there. Uh, Sony hasn't been there in like a couple true, of years. True, true. So. But it's stacking now. There's more companies. Yeah. Yeah. So what'd you rate it? You never actually said a score, a letter. Um, probably C minus to a C. Oh wow, a whole grade below yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I I am the cynic of this podcast for sure. <laughs> well, you know what's funny but is like, I or go ahead. Sorry. No, go for it. I was just saying, you know what's funny is like I feel like I had more – like you're just like, oh, there weren't enough games. I'm like, oh, it's missing the community aspect. I was like rattling off all these things it did wrong and then I gave it a higher grade like by a good margin. No, yeah, it's it's this thing where, yeah, there are games here and like Elden Ring is super, super close and the C3 still would have been weak as hell even if I didn't see uh, Elden Ring, you know? It still would have been weak. It wasn't even at E3. It was Summer Game Fest. It wasn't even affiliated yeah, with E3. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I know, but you get the point. Yeah. That's the weird thing is there's a lot of stuff happening around E3. Like, um, you know, I'm talking about not a lot of Switch games. The Wholesome Direct, which is always like indie, like like soft, warm, and fuzzy games, that was like half Switch games. So, like, there are Switch games from the indie scene, but it's just like, yeah, like the, the big, like, heavy hitter, like E3, you know, the stuff that's going to show up on CNN's website when they announce the big new thing or whatever, like, that was missing. Yeah. 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 But yeah. So who knows? Who knows if E3 will ever get back to the glitz and glamour that it used to be. I I know the ESA wants to do some mix of physical and virtual next year, but unless they get everybody under the same umbrella, I I don't think it's going to happen. What's so interesting to me about that. So they want to do that. And Jeff Keighley is kind of out loud contemplating the idea of a physical component to Summer Game Fest. Like, he'll be digital first always, but he'd love to do something in person. That's what he's been saying. Um, but what I find so interesting is both Microsoft and Nintendo have gone on record on multiple occasions saying how important they feel E3 is. And on some level, if those two are there, to some degree, most others will follow. EA is going to do EA Play. Take-Two is going to maybe have a booth that you can't play anything in, as they always do. If you even have a booth. Activision may just do Call of Duty like you should do. But if you have two of the three big console makers that serious about it to the point where E3's kickoff was Phil Spencer talking about the importance of the different companies coming together, there's always going to be some sort of E3. The question becomes... What shape does it take? Is it that weird idea they're going to do last year that uh, you know the pandemic blocked from happening, where it's going to be like these weird influencer spheres and you like go to these stage shows and it's not really kind of janky, or is it going to be like something more like PAX, or is it going to be maybe some is Summer Game Fest going to somehow take the mantle? But whether it's called E three or not, this idea that these companies do want to share a time and a space to some degree. Gives me hope that there's going to be something like E3. Maybe not a name, but at least in spirit. And it sounds like still in LA, which is great because that's where we all live. But, but yeah, it's, I think E it's for all. E for Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that Bring was it back, baby. Oh, yeah. Everything old is new again. Just like Nintendo's lineup. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. In the meantime, unless you guys have any parting shots or thoughts about E3, I think that does it for this episode. Wow. Our longest in a while. Rightfully so for, you know, E3 week, even if it wasn't truly E3. Um, but next episode, we're going to be back to our usual grind, including, you know, what we cover and when. So the next episode should actually be up on a Sunday for real. Uh, it would be July 4th, no less. 
Uh, and we're going to have Mario Golf Super Rush. We're going to have our thoughts on Sakurai's presentation of uh, Kazuya in Smash Bros. And what we think of him being in Smash Bros. Uh, whatever other surprises between now and then, we'll, of course, talk about. And then in between, so in this coming weekend, before we even get to July, we have the next episode of Random Nintendo with uh, something. Or maybe not Maybe not weekend, but at some point, we might possibly. Maybe not? Right, you might not be around. Maybe not. Okay. I'm going on vacay. I'm going to retract that statement, and you'll have to follow us on Twitter at Random Nintendo or subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice, be it Apple, Google, Stitcher, maybe Pandora. Maybe another power hour. Maybe. But whatever happens, the only way to find out is by doing those two things, follow and subscribe. That's how you'll know. We're also on YouTube at RandomTendo.com if you want to look there. Check daily. Check multiple times a day. Check hourly, and maybe you'll see our lovely me's cartoon faces pop up in your feed. And maybe you won't. But we will be back July 4th with a real random Nintendo. So um, until then, you can see what we think individually about all the things happening in the world, gaming or not. I'm JSR7 on Twitter. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O on Twitter. Kevin is KVN Gomi on Twitter. I don't know why I keep saying on Twitter after every sentence on Twitter. Um, but yeah, that does it. So Kevin, final word after a hearty, meaty episode. Be wary of spiders, people.